This episode is brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I have seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. Crimped has dozens of workouts crafted by world-class climbers and coaches that focus on all of the different facets of climbing performance and training, including workouts to guide your outdoor climbing. I just did a really fun collaboration with the guys at Crimped, and now all of you can try my three favorite outdoor bouldering workouts right there in the Crimped app. We've got one called Steven's Outdoor Bouldering Warm-Up, which is my go-to warm-up on a bouldering day. We've got Steven's Outdoor Limit Bouldering, which will guide you through my approach to projecting hard boulders. And finally, we've got Steven's Outdoor Strength Zone Bouldering, which will guide you through a strength-focused bouldering session. I've used that one a lot in Waco tanks over the past few years with great results. And it's a great format for sending some of those second-tier boulders and building strength out there on the rock. Check out the Crimped app at crimped.com. That's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. And type in Steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, into the search bar in the app to try my go-to outdoor workouts. That's crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the app store. It's totally free to try. Type Steven in the search and have fun out there on the boulders. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, and this is an intense episode. My guest today is Travis Tamero. Travis is 29 years old from Rhode Island, and he had a very serious climbing accident in 2018. He shares the whole story in this episode. Basically, a very serious knee injury. He ended up having 12 surgeries on his knee over the course of about three years and ended up having to get a full knee replacement. And it's a pretty incredible story. It's really hard to find any athlete who's had a full knee replacement and made it back to a high level in their sport. And Travis has regained full mobility with his artificial knee. He's climbed his hardest after his recovery by a lot. He climbed his first V10 and V11 this past year. This guy's hungry and super driven and he's on fire. It was really inspiring to talk to him. And he went through a very difficult time, as you can imagine, living in constant pain for years. I wanna give a trigger warning here. This episode gets pretty dark. We talked about suicidal ideation and him being in so much pain that he just didn't wanna live anymore. So be kind to yourself if you're going through a rough time and that's not a great thing for you to listen to right now, then maybe skip this one. Circle back to it when you're in a different mind state. But yeah, this is just an incredible story and I'm really glad I get to share it with all of you. One note about our episode before we jump in, we talked for quite a while before getting into his injury story and I ended up chopping that from the episode, and I'm going to release that as an extra for patrons. So if you want to listen to the first 35 minutes or so of this episode, it was interesting. We talked about food and weight and weight classes in different sports. Travis has a deep background in other sports and athletics. He was a semi-professional boxer. We talked about that. We talked about him being a professional Super Smash Brothers player. I talked about what I'm doing with my diet right now. We talked about a project that I was working on at the time. And we talked about grades and the feeling when your hardest climbs get downgraded, thoughts about grades. And we talked about Katie Lamb and the box therapy downgrade. That was interesting as well. But anyway, I feel like I've talked about a lot of that stuff before and it felt like it took away from Travis's story and what felt most important 
from this episode. So I ended up chopping that. Once again, that's going to be available for patrons who support the show as an extra. That's available today if you want to go listen to the rest of the episode. So yeah, we'll just dive right in here. We talk about his accident about 15 minutes in and we talk about it for quite a while. So buckle up and stay tuned for that. And I have a couple quick housekeeping items before we jump in. First of all, the Access Fund is doing their end of year campaign and would love your support. I love the Access Fund. They help protect our climbing access. I support them monthly. I'm a huge fan. I've been supporting them for a long time. And right now, between December 4th and 15th, so right now, if you're listening to this, when this episode comes out, Black Diamond is matching up to $80,000 in donations to the Access Fund. So now is the best time possible to support them and to help. I would love it if you guys could chip in, if you have the means, and help unlock the full amount of that donation from Black Diamond. It'd be awesome if we can match $80,000 and get the most out of that. So once again, that's going on right now. You can go give at accessfund.org protect. That's accessfund.org slash protect. I'll put a link right there in your podcast app. And then finally, this is nothing new, but I want to talk for a second about Patreon. I'm putting out a lot of extras these days. So if you love the podcast and you can't get enough, I'm sharing bonus clips from just about every episode. They're called extras. Those are available the same day that the episode comes out. If you can't get enough and you want more, check out Patreon. You can get weekly bonus content plus ad-free episodes and a lot more. So you can learn more at patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. It's five bucks a month. It's a great deal, I think. It goes a long way to helping out the show and you guys get lots of bonus content in return. Think of it as buying me a beer once a month after a great episode. That's nothing. And then also, this is new. For those of you who listen on Apple Podcasts and you've been listening for a long time and you love the show and you want the bonus content, but you don't want to deal with Patreon, you don't want to go to a different website or anything, you can now unlock the premium version of The Nugget. It's the same content as Patreon. It's the exact same thing, but you can do it right there in your Apple Podcast app with one click. It's already linked to your Apple profile that you have set up on your phone, so you can just tap. Your payment information will be right there. You can just press one button And you can subscribe monthly or yearly and get all the bonus content right there in Apple Podcasts. So it's never been easier to support The Nugget, and it's never been easier to get more bonus content if you love the show. All right, let's dive in. Please enjoy this very intense and very inspiring conversation with Travis Tamero. Let's get back on track here. So how did you get into climbing? You know, coming from semi-pro boxing and these other sports that you did, that's really interesting. What was it about climbing that captured your attention coming from these other sports? And when was this, by the way? How old were you? Right. uh, Really great questions and a bit of a funny story, but uh, I'll try to answer all those. Um, You know, the type of person I am, I've always sort of had like a one-track mind where for better or worse, I attach so much of my identity to whatever thing I'm really putting my energy into and what I'm passionate about. And it's like when I was a skateboarder, I was just 
very much a skateboarder. Like I had all the skateboarding swag and like I used the skateboarding jargon and I just consumed so much skateboarding content, which back then there wasn't really YouTube. So it was like getting, you know, Transworld Skateboarding Magazine and Thrasher and trying to just like absorb as much of that and like let it permeate because that's just kind of how my mind works. I obsess over things. And yeah, so that's like, that's like sort of my approach to sports. And that's what happened to me with volleyball. And that's what happened to me with boxing. And and that's very much what happened to me with, uh, with climbing. But the way I got into climbing, um, the company I work at still today, one of my coworkers is a climber. And well, she no longer works at the company, but she's still a climber. And she was saying to me, she's like, you know, I, you know, want a boyfriend. I want to go on a date, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, oh, like, I feel like my friend Liam could be like a good fit for you. And she's like, okay, he looks good. I'm, I'm for it. So I'm like, okay, like, why don't I go to? So it's just like friends hanging out and you two can figure out if you vibe. That way it's not awkward. So she's like, cool. She's like, I want to go to the rock gym. I'm like, sure. Sounds fun. Like I'm an athlete. Go to the rock gym with my uh, coworker. My friend texts me like 10 minutes into us uh, already being there. He's like, dude, I'm not interested. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> this is not the time to like to fail. <laughs> That's not cool. Um, you know, and, and he had a, I'm, I'm not hating on him. I think ultimately being honest about it, he had time to reflect and realize like he just wasn't in a place in his life at that time to like explore any connection like that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to put himself in that situation. Uh, that said, I just looked over at my coworker. I was like, I'll, I'll still climb with you. We can hang out. It will be fun. And it only took me like five minutes. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> this is great. And, and and I should add the context. By this point, I had already been done with boxing for um, for a couple of years. Um, boxing was something that was very much a, a necessary thing for me at a point in my life when I was doing it. Um, I was uh, going to college full time. I, I guess I've never even said to you, I have a He's going to be 14 on Christmas Day, but I have a I have a son. And back then when I was boxing, like it was just doing everything I could to make ends meet. So when I, I say semi-pro, like what I mean by that is like, I don't know how one ever gets the title of like pro boxer, but for me, it was very much an income stream that mattered. Mm. And I was also bartending full-time. Uh, very very difficult time of my life. Uh, yeah, you're 33 now. I'm doing some fast math. So you had a you had a son at 19. Yeah. Right on the money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very fast math. Uh, I see that engineering brain. Network. Very easy math, but yeah. <laughs> no, that, that sounds... <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> that sounds hard. That sounds so hard, man. Yeah. It was just so hard. Um, and you weren't... And... You weren't with your the partner. You weren't with... Uh, your son's mom no no not at, not at that point we were together for the first year um my son was born but you know we're just such different people i'm not gonna say there was like some big animosity or fallout we're just we're just very different people i mean we dated in high school and you know for instance i just explained like movement and being athletic means so much to me mm-hmm. uh you know that's what makes me feel the most alive and uh she is very far from that. <laughs> I remember like having a conversation with her way back. And, and this isn't to criticize her in any way. It's just a 
You're different. She yeah. would say to me, she's like, I have no interest in hiking. And I'm just like, man, that's it's so fun. <laughs> like, why would you not want to go hiking? <laughs> but so looking back, we're just different people. So, uh, you know, we eventually ended things. And, you know, we, we still talk very civilly. We uh, are both very much on the same path of let's make sure our son is like in the best position possible. Mm. But needless to say, uh, being 19 and going through that, Financially, it was really difficult. Um, it really affected my ego, if I'm being honest with you, because when I was going through high school and everything, I don't know if it was a narrative I told myself, but like I always kind of told myself I was like the golden boy, like I'm doing everything right. I'm getting good grades. I'm on the college path. I'm, in, I'm captain of my volleyball team. Like all those like check boxes. And then like suddenly it became like... Oh, I'm a fuck up. I had a, I had a kid. Uh, I'm a single dad at 19, and like that psychology, like really affected my my self esteem. Because I, I, I would always have like that moment when I was talking with somebody, like, oh, like it's eventually going to have to come out where they know I'm a dad, and like that just, and I could see that like transformative look in their eyes of like not like you're a loser or something, but like almost like that pity that like, <laughs> oh, you fucked up kind of thing and wow. it just it, it hurt and i felt like i had lost my own identity for so long because not that anybody meant bad but i remember like christmas times would roll around and it was no longer like like here's a gift travis it would be like oh now that your dad only your kid gets a gift like i know you get it and it's like oh yeah thank you and you know i'd, I'd put on the smile but it's like i felt like i was being erased um, wow. and none of this is my son's fault and I don't hold any of that against him. And it just, it, I, I've never been the type of person where I'm one of those parents that all I talk about is my kid. And, and, and there are just so many of those parents out there where it's like, not that I'm hating on them, but I feel like they lived through their kid and I'm just not that type of person. I, I have my own identity. I have my own things I'm passionate about. Happy to talk about my son. And, um, um, you know, I love him. And he's a great kid. But he's not a replacement for who I am. Mm. He is an extension of who I am. Wow. And I felt like I got treated so long uh, like I no longer existed. It was just everything was the kid. And I couldn't... I could never really escape that. So like fitness for me has always been like the thing in my life that was for me. It was my escape. It was uh, where I would go, where I was solely doing this like selfish thing for my own performance, whether it was vanity or seeing the amount of weight I could throw up increase or seeing my performance in the sport I was really participating in increase. It, it just felt like it was for me. And I think that feedback loop I was getting from that uh, just played such a huge role in why I stuck with it and why I continue to stick with it so much because it's just something I strongly associate my identity with this movement. And yeah, so that's how I got into climbing. <laughs> how old were you at the time? When when was this? Yeah, so this is way after college. So I graduated college in 2014 and I started climbing basically at the start of 2018. So it was like okay. January-ish of 2018. 
And I did that for about six months. It's funny, um, on my first day at the gym, it only took me like an hour. I walked over and bought a pair of shoes because I'm just like, oh man, like, I I just know I love this. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, it's a done deal. (laughs) (laughs) And when I went just like I do, one track mine, uh, super obsessive, it's going every day. I did that for... So January to what, August is like six months or something like that. Um, yeah, uh, everything seemed like it was just on the up and up and up end. You know, then, you know, then I had a really bad accident in August 13th, 2018. And it, it certainly changed my life forever. Um, yeah. In, in many ways. And, you know, challenged a lot of how I saw the world. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go through the whole thing, man. We're gonna go on that journey together. Um, what was raw? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Buckle up, everybody. Um, just to add a little more context around that. So, what was your climbing looking like in August of 2018? You know, because it it seems like you were just. I mean, you've already said this. You were obsessed. You were all in. You got pretty good pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's it's funny because I know you interviewed that. Um, Oh my god, his name escapes me at the moment, but I was I was so impressed. The guy I got the V fifteen in three years. Oh, Matt, right? Yeah, yeah. Talk about impressive, dude. I know. So, <laughs> my progress was nothing like that, but I thought I was uh, progressing very quickly for at the time. Like I had onsighted my first five eleven D at that time, and I wasn't doing a ton of bouldering outside at that time. I was really into the sport climbing. Um, yeah, within seven months of climbing, that's that's awesome. That's really good. But you know, it it's interesting because like I look, I look at that time that I was climbing grades like that on sport, and it's almost like it was fake. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, I feel like there's a big difference between doing something risky when you understand and know the risk but you can still collect yourself, evaluate, have that analysis in your in your mind and bring yourself to execute knowing the danger involved. And then I feel like it's something completely different when you succeed at doing something risky and you weren't even aware you were doing something mm. risky. Yeah. And my general perspective on that is that's just called being an idiot <laughs> when you just, you have no idea what you're doing is even dangerous and mm-hmm. you're doing it anyway. And I had many moments like that. Um, I remember like I flashed something at my local gym, you know, like a month before that, that was, I mean, they graded it like five, 12, whatever in the gym and the grade's not important. Uh, What happened was I remember off the ground, it was like a big dyno before you can make the second clip. And for whatever reason, I decided not to do the first clip to my understanding. And I, I did the big committing dyno and I stuck it. And I think I was able to do that because there's just, there was no fear. I wasn't even aware of any danger for some reason. Um, I guess I just wasn't thinking about it. Uh, you know what? And I'm sorry, I remember what happened now. I did clip the first clip. It was the third clip up. So mm. to make the second clip, I think some people had to have the height to do it before the dyno. I did not. So I did the dyno, then did the second clip mm. and then the third. But like, if I had missed the dyno, which was very plausible given the hold I was going to, 
I don't know. I've, I've actually lost sleep thinking about it. Like I, I probably would have broke my neck because it was like kind of like this wooden square bench feature that, you know, the, the gym members could sit on that was sort of behind me. And I think the trajectory of like getting launched off the wall the way I would have, I think my neck would have went straight into it unless Whoa. my belayer had some incredible spotting game. And it's like, you know, I, I always say, I don't, I don't think I'd want to live anymore if, two things happened uh if either of these two things happened like going blind or being a quadriplegic i really think that i would want it to be the end of the road and there's no way i would have taken those risks if i had known that breaking my neck was potentially on the line mm -hmm. as at least with the probability that i assess of that happening what it was at that time right. so so yeah, I, I guess I look at my performance at that time before uh, before I got injured with like that duality of, yeah, maybe my performance was good on one side of it, but the other side of that all was I was so ignorant um, and underprepared. Mm. And I've, I was only focusing on the performance, not the safety. Mm -hmm. And I was not a... I was not living with the, the mantra that I have today of don't get injured. Mm -hmm. So take that for what you want as far as like what level I was at for that time. Um, I'm not sure how I assessed it either today. Okay. Yeah. Still of like, I, I don't know how to quantify what my ability was then. Yeah. Yeah. That Just given the, the lack of fear. The recklessness. Yeah. 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 The recklessness. And, I guess that's just kind of what I've done my whole life. Like when you're a skateboarder and, and there were many offshoot things of skateboarding I did too. Like I was a snowboarder, I was a BMXer. I, I actually got really, really good at razor scooters. Like, you know, really got deep into that for a while. And those sports, you have to be very bold and you can't second guess yourself and you're committing to something. Like the moment you second guess yourself dropping into a half pipe, for example, what happens is you lean back mm. and if that happens, you fall, you have to lean forward. And it's so hard, especially the first time you're doing it to drop into a half pipe and lean forward. Cause that feels like face first into the concrete mm -hmm. and getting over those hurdles, uh, at the early ages of my life that I did and not ever getting any serious injuries. I think I had this blind arrogance, uh, to danger and like, what I interpreted as dangerous mm -hmm. and what I felt I should feel fear for and things like that. Yeah. So that makes sense. I mean, we're in a we're in a dangerous sport. There's no Yeah. Maybe maybe if you only do top rope at the gym, maybe it's pretty safe. But in general, anyone who like anyone listening to this podcast is doing something beyond top roping at the gym, almost guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like we're in a dangerous sport. No, it, it is what it is. And I think having an understanding at least of the, the dangers is, is a skill in itself. Like totally. I think knowing how to fall is a skill in itself. Yeah. So if I, if I quantify those things as part of ability, then I feel like I was actually severely lacking in my ability before my injury, because mm. I feel like I've put a lot more onus into honing those skills now, like right. knowing how to fall knowing how to evaluate a risk, understanding how systems work on the wall. 
these are all skills and they're important ones because longevity is way more important than short-term gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That was a that. mouthful, but <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's great. Um, yeah. And, and you fully appreciate that as you get older. That's something that I think I like, I don't know, like it, it might take an injury or something for people to really understand that young people, you know, cause I don't, I don't think I saw things that way when I was in my twenties. I think the, you know, I would risk it for the biscuit. I, I like, I'll do this highball in Bishop cause it would be so cool if I pull it off and I don't have anything against highballs. I still do them, but I'm way more calculated now. And, but I, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been in a position where I was like really trying hard and like really redlining high off the ground, you know, but I did that back then because I just wanted to be on top and check that box and, and like do the cool boulder, you know, um, let's dive into your story, man. So August 18th, yep. 2018, uh, 13th, 13th, yep. August 13th, 2018, yep. <laughs> your life changed forever. Set the scene yeah. for us and tell me what happened that day. Yeah. Um, I was uh, with two of my close friends and, you know, plenty of my other friends who just ended up being at the gym by, you know, coincidence. Worst part of this was <laughs> it was at the gym. Like, how lame. Um, had a good night of climbing. Uh, we decided to finish up doing a little bit of bouldering and we did this like really cool V3. Um, it had this like cool turnaround move that like it just naturally made you flow where like you had to turn your whole body around and like face the crowd, so to speak. And it, it, it was just very cool. And we wanted more of that. So we're like, how do we like extend this problem like and keep enjoying this experience? And we're like, okay, let's like just add on some things to it. And one of my friends added on like uh, like a pretty cool looking dyno to it. So I was like, oh, that's sick. Um, There's this lateral dyno, probably I'd say like eight feet or so, maybe 10 feet off the deck. So and, you're, eight, you're eight or 10 feet up and you're just jumping straight sideways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that felt like it was just so in my wheelhouse for, you know, who I was and things I've done. Um, so... I go up to do the thing. I do the lateral dyno and catch the hold thinking like, oh, easy. Like I'm jumping into a bucket. Uh, like, And it was a bucket in hindsight too. Um, what happened next is something that I didn't expect. It's the only time this kind of thing's ever happened to me. Uh, my bicep tendon popped. And I don't know why to, to this day why that happened. Um, I don't have an answer. The only thing I can think of is too much too soon, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but my bicep tendon popped and it caused me to like let go of the hold, which, you know, I, I think caused like really big confusion in the moment. I mean, I, I've replayed this scene a thousand times in my head at least. And what happened was my body started rotating underneath me because I had so much force going to the right. And while like my body started rotating, somehow my lower body started drooping down towards the ground again. And this was like sort of my fatal error. I uh, stuck my leg out straight to break my fall. 
you know, faking like I'm landing like a cat or something. And my femur, it, it just, it just happened so quick. I, like, I, I remember the sound it made when it happened. Um, my femur just drove through my knee uh, and like exploded my knee and like broke off the top of my tibia, which is uh, the tibial plateau. And I wasn't aware of that at the time. I thought it was like a shoulder dislocation. Like when a shoulder pops at a joint, somebody's going to come over and just like pop it back in for you. Um, but yeah, I was, I was on the ground. <laughs> Adrenaline's amazing because I was very lucid, but I didn't feel any pain. I was just like, oh, like, look at that. You just think your knee's dislocated. Yeah, and, and I think the stars that my friend Juliana, uh, who was there, she's a nurse, did not do what I asked her to do because I was like, oh, like, do you want to try popping it back in for me? Because like, I just didn't understand the anatomy of the knee and how complex it is. And I don't know if she thought about it, but she was like, no, like, I'm going to let like the medics deal with this because uh, we had already called 911. Uh, again, I was pretty lucid. So I remember just like kind of yelling over at the desk and going, guys, I need someone to call 911. I definitely don't want to walk right now. I don't know how, how bad it could be, but I don't think it's too bad. And I remember like while I was waiting for the paramedic, I was like telling everybody like, guys, I'm still going to the Red River Gorge in October. You all don't worry about this. It's going to blow over. No big deal. And I remember seeing the look in their eyes like like they thought I was crazy. And I was just like, ah, you know, all these people are soft. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the paramedics came and I was so impressed with this uh, device they had. Uh, it was like this bag they put around my leg and it inflated and it held my leg perfectly in the position I was in while I was laying, laying on the ground waiting for them as they transported me into the ambulance to the hospital. And I remember being in the ambulance. I had texted um, my girlfriend, Katie. I was like, hey, this thing happened. Not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And I sent her a picture of my leg thinking like, haha, <laughs> you know, look, it's flopping around, <laughs> not connected. And I remember calling my dad because he was uh, staying with me at the time. And he definitely had a lot of deep concern because he's like, I'm on my way to the ER. I'm like, it's not a big deal, dad, really. He's like, no, I'm on my way. So we get to the ER and I'm still like in this bliss of like, oh, this is going to be fine. And the ER trauma doctor comes over. He's like, okay, we have x-ray one here. You can see his knee was like this. It was supposed to be like this. So we just put it back together like that. We're going to send him in to get an MRI and, um, you know, hopefully be on his way. And I was like, see, dad, no big deal. And he's like, well, remember good sport. You got to take it easy for a couple of weeks. I'm like, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> and they send me in to get the MRI and my knee re-dislocates because there's a lot more involved with the knee than just to than just a socket like the shoulder so mm. to speak and not that the shoulders just a socket but much more friendly in that way than a knee dislocation so then they actually put me under because apparently if they had not i would have been in like some pretty crazy pain at that moment uh when i eventually came to that's when a real orthopedic doctor came in and 
was like, Travis, you're looking at like a two to three year recovery. And I, I just remember at that moment, like hmm. just bawling because I was like, oh my God, like I really fucked up. And yeah, so, you know, that began this journey, so to speak. And um, I just remember like, almost like going through the stages of like death and dying of like, like the denial of what was going on. I remember like thinking to myself like, oh, maybe it's two to three years for like those people, but that won't be me and mm. yada, yada, yada. And, and, and I held on to that narrative for a while. Um, like I remember when I met with uh, one of the orthopedists that, you know, I met with like a couple weeks after the initial injury. Uh, and mind you, at this point, I was in an X frame. So I had two pins drilled in my femur, two down in my tibia, and I had a bar on the outside of my leg connecting this all together. And my leg was just locked straight. So like, I was a sight to be seen, to, to say the least. And and the pain was uh, very, very real. And I remember like the orthopedist actually like painting like a pretty good picture for me that I at least could pallet at that time. They're like, okay, we got to wait for your tibial plateau to heal back up because we had to graft that back onto the bone. And then we're going to do a full reconstruction on your knee. And like maybe in nine months time, like you're going to feel like kind of like your old self again. I was like, okay, that's not two to three years. Like I can get through this kind of thing. And um, it, it, it was challenging at first. So the injury was August 13th, 2018. The date that was set to do the full reconstruction on my knee was December 16th, 2018. And I was I was doing okay overall. I was, I'm so thankful I had uh, Katie there with me. And, you know, I'm so happy too, before she uh, went on a trip to the Buckaboos where she was going, um, I had asked her to move in with me. And, and she said, yeah, we'll talk about it when I get back. So like, when she did come back and I had this injury, she was willing to like move in with me and, and it didn't feel like this, like, oh, I'm staying with you because you're injured thing. Um, mm. Like, I'm just kind of lucky I I wanted that, you know, before she left. And I, I was very much in the honeymoon phase of there still because we were still within the first year of us being together. And I was able to like get through from August to December just because like I was in the bliss of being with this girl I was so in love with and and I'm still so in love with, to be clear, but, um, yeah, you two are married now. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, I'm, and I'm so thankful for, hmm. uh, shit. It's okay. You tell myself I'm not going to do this. So. <laughs> it's okay. I'm here for all of it, man. Oh, it's just what she went through. Uh, I just have so much respect for her. And I, I feel like I can never, I can never give back to her what she has done for me, you know, through, you know, one of the most critical times of my life. And uh, anyway, I'll continue on with the story. So uh, December 16th comes, I get the full reconstruction. So painful. I woke up screaming from that surgery. It was hard. And the prognosis was really good. The surgery had gone so well. I was told I could start beginning PT. I, I think it was like a month after or something like that. So in January, I start doing PT and 
because I'm just like so driven to like get it back and get my independence back and and feel feel like a person again. I like went at PT hard and I, I don't think that was a bad thing. I think that's sort of like the ones who are the most successful in PT. Like that's the mindset they have. They're just very, very driven to uh, to rehab. And for a while, I felt things improving. I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to run soon. I can feel it. And then all of a sudden, things started like going in the other direction. My shape of my like legs started changing. And I was like feeling my progress like quickly regress. And I'm like, what is going on? And... I got, went and got more imaging done and everything because I'm like, we we got to make sure that like something isn't happening. And I remember getting that phone call from my surgeon, um, and and his his whole demeanor being so different from the first time I met him, which you know, not I'm not insulting the surgeon anyway. I have so much respect for his talent, his ability, and and how much effort he put into my whole situation. Um, nobody's perfect, obviously. And I remember his whole tonality just being very jagged when he gave me this phone call versus like the, the overwhelming confidence I felt from him the first time I met with him. Yeah, I remember you saying at first, he, he seemed cocky. Like he seemed like very self-assured and cocky the first time around. Yeah, and and he was to be fair, and and in some ways, I'm glad he was. Like, I want yeah. my surgeon to feel confident about what they're doing. Totally. If I'm going under the knife, and it was like a totally different human that like spoke to me on the phone. He's like, in his exact words, he's like, Travis, this has humbled me. What's happened is uh, your tibial plateau, that thing that we needed to let heal before we could even do that full reconstruction, has crumbled away. We don't know why. I still don't know why today. Maybe it was a blood supply issue. I don't know. And he's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, what does this mean? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, I have this leg that's in so much pain. And I'm like, "It. what do I do? And he's just like, I don't know. So... He, you know, he continued to work on my case, uh, which I'm very appreciative for. But I went over to Mass General at this point. And, and as a side note, I'm so lucky I just had this plethora of amazing medical resources available to me, uh, both in talent, facilities, and proximity. I mean... I, I think about people who just don't have that kind of access and scary. Uh, but I met with my surgeon, uh, Dr. Eric Burks, and uh, does a lot of work uh, for like the Patriots players and everything like that. He's a knee specialist. And for for a while, for the first six months of consultation, it was just that consultation kind of pinging back and forth between my old surgeon and this new one I was considering trying to devise a plan of like, what's next? What does this mean for me and, and my leg? And I think under, under certain conditions, the recommendation might've been to just amputate the leg. But what made my situation unique was 
apparently most people who get a full knee dislocation, they damage something called the perineal nerve. And that's what controls your foot to be able to flex up and down like that. And I didn't know how lucky I was until the doctors like really started like, you know, being flabbergasted by it. But I remember when I met with Dr. Berkson for the first time, he was just almost mystified that like I could move my foot up and down. So he's like, I've never seen this. This is mm. like amazing. And he was calling other doctors over and like saying like, look, he can move his foot. And I'm like thinking like, <laughs> oh my God, like I didn't realize how like, yeah, how it was almost certain for me to lose that ability with the dislocation. And, and, I, and I think to this day, the EMTs with that inflatable bag device might've been like the secret sauce to that. Mm. Um, but regardless, he starts putting together a plan for me because I think he felt strongly like we got to try to save this guy's leg. He still has like good mobility and control of it. We just got to get this knee thing figured out. The, the fact that amputations like even on the table, let alone like a likely outcome is shocking and fascinating to me. Like you, you, you know, dislocate your knee, bang it up, break some stuff. You have to cut your leg off if that happens. Like that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because at the time when the word was even thrown out to me, I almost shrugged it off as like a, I won't even consider it. I'm just going to get a second doctor who tells yeah. me I don't need that You're kind like, of no thing. No way, no way. Uh, but looking back at it now, it was a real possibility. But, you know, these surgeons, uh, it, my old one and the one I was considering, they were consulting with a lot of different doctors. They were like consulting with like the Mayo Clinic, all their colleagues. And they did eventually both come to the same plan, which I, which felt reassuring. Uh, but I did end up going with Dr. Berkson just because the Mass General Healthcare Network uh, just felt like it had more to offer for, you know, how severe of a situation is. And it certainly wasn't a ding against uh, anybody else. Mm -hmm. And the plan was, uh, it, it was essentially an experimental procedure where they were going to take uh, basically a new tibial plateau from a cadaver and graft it into my knee by like custom shaping it in real time while I'm under the knife. Uh, and the idea would be if, if that would was successful, they could kind of go back to that place I was at uh, in December 16th where it's like, okay, we can like resume a full reconstruction and try to like get this knee back on track again. And I was told that if that procedure failed, they would just have to take my leg like, you know, while I was under, which was unnerving. But like when I asked about, you know, what the doctor thought the odds of the procedure going well, he said, oh, definitely over 80%. And I'm mm. like, okay. I'm like, what are my other options? I have this useless appendage that, is just causing me agony. Like, we got to try. For 80% odds, we got to try. Yeah. And both surgeons coming to the same idea uh, reinforced the idea that, like, this is probably the best plan. That's so wild. Because I had, like, all, like, some of the best minds in, like, the knee specialist world, you know, thinking about this knee. I'm just, I'm just imagining getting put out, you know, going in for a surgery being prepped and everything and being put under and knowing that there's a one in five chance I'm going to wake up without a leg. Like that is crazy to think about. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know if I lied to myself at the time, but I I just convinced myself like 80% odds are good. It's probably even higher percent odds of success because doctors are conservative typically and it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And the hard part of all that was just waiting for a donor match to happen. I think I think I waited for a good six months just waiting for that match to come up. And um, when it finally happened, it's like I had to drop everything in my life uh, and like, show up for surgery the next day. Wow. And, wow. you know, thanking my lucky stars, it did go well. The plan after that didn't necessarily go so well, but, you know, let me tell you, like, every time I had one of these surgeries, I, <laughs> the pain was just so, so extreme. But I was just, like, holding on to, you know, like, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be better and I'm going to be an athlete again. And like, you know, I'm going to get through this. Um, so yeah, I had that surgery. I had to wait for things to heal up enough. That, that's the thing too. It's not like they can just bang everything out back to back to back. Like surgery in itself is this big trauma and you have to heal from that before they can do another trauma, which is another surgery. And I remember, uh, like based on, I guess, like the anatomy of my leg at that time, uh, Dr. Berkson did not feel doing a full reconstruction made sense. He's like, we got to address one thing at a time. It's, he's like, it's still going to be a long haul. So we we first start by doing like a high tibial osteotomy. It's like where they cut your leg in half, basically at the tibia, re-straighten your leg. They put bone graft in, they put a giant locking plate down the bone. Um, I still had no tenons in my knee at this point. So I'm just bone on bone like all this for months and again the pain was just it's just so severe can you describe that a little bit more it's just your your knees screaming at you just constantly night day 24 7 i'm imagining you can't sleep like is it just this constant thing man i there are just times i wanted to die like, I figured it'd just be easier if I was dead. <laughs> yeah, you said I couldn't sleep. Sleep, like, didn't exist. I remember, like, having to, like, go into a grocery store and just feeling the dread of, like, the pain I'd have to be in. I remember Katie just being up at night, like, and she had to be up early. She's a high school teacher, so she's like getting up at the crack of dawn for work and she just be up at like two in the morning rubbing my foot. And it was so hard. Hardest thing I've ever been through. Um, and it just, I had to keep going through it over and over, surgery after surgery. And, and I was doing a lot of these surgeries and eventually I was just told we've done too much surgery to your knee, Travis, you have no cartilage left. Like, like there's really no saving this knee. And I'm thinking to myself, like, oh my God, all of this, like I'm two years, like in the process at this point. And it's like, you're now telling me I, you can't like, was this all for nothing? Like, well, what does this mean? And they're like, well, at this point, like, I think we need to explore doing like a total knee replacement. And, I remember that seeming like, seeming like such a horrifying concept to me at the time because I was told um, for a while that I couldn't have a normal knee replacement. Uh, 
Not that a normal one sounded good to me either because you need to have bony stability to even have a knee replacement. And my bony stability was 50-50 at best because uh, like the sides of the leg, like the outsides compartment of the legs is called like the posterior lateral corner. And mine was just fucked up for a better way, lack of a better way of putting it. It was stretched out. It wasn't that stable. And it was questionable if they could even do a knee replacement. So I had to meet with some specialists in that arena too. And eventually they did get to that consensus like, yeah, a knee replacement's the way to go here. Um, And it, it felt like a death sentence to me in some ways because it was like, that's the end of me ever being an athlete again. Like that's mm. it. Um, cause like you, you internet search today, like athletes with a knee replacement, you'll find like a forum post here and there about like grandma getting to do yoga <laughs> yeah, or like, Oh yeah, I went on a walk and it's mm. like, it's like, it, it's just a different Travis, like this version I was imagining where it's like, I couldn't ever do anything, you know, that really stimulated me again, uh, almost in the extreme sense. And I go forward with the knee replacement. Uh, well, I, I, I guess that's not even true. I agree to go forward with the knee replacement after much debate and after much fighting with like experimental surgery uh, concepts and everything. I was like, what if we try to regrow a cartilage? Like just in that death and dying phase again of bargaining just like trying to figure out like no like this can't be happening like i gotta save my knee you you guys told me the whole way through that keeping the original parts is just so important and i just remember like the doctor basically having to sell me on this idea like it's not going to be that bad like they're like no matter what your leg was always going to need a knee replacement eventually it's just like it was He's like, it was just about how many years we could buy before that. And he's mm. like, the answer is zero. We, you, you didn't, you need it. He's a growing cartilage could take years and not even yield good results. And as an aside, it's amazing how advanced we are medically in, in so many arenas and yet how far we still have to go before yeah. we've like had the ability to rebuild a human like the way we do with a, an operating system on a computer, right? We're not able to just like wipe things and reinstall them and, you know, go into the registry and like change a value and fix that genetic thing that's wrong with the person. We're, we're just not there. And I had to wait for so long to get the knee replacement. It didn't help that the pen, this coincided with the pandemic. And it was just like this horrendous waiting game where I was just like in pain. Very much at this point of like, I just want to like, get on with my life here like i remember like going in to see my accounts and for work and everything and like i just started getting known as oh yeah that guy with the knee and it hurt i was like i'm like this is my new identity i'm a cripple Mm. and just kept waiting so long. Uh, the surgery kept getting delayed because of the pandemic and uh, Katie just being like the amazing person she is. She's like, she's like, you're falling apart mentally. She's like, we got to get your mind off this and get like focused on something else. She's like, she's like, let's paint, let's paint the kitchen. You hate the color of this kitchen. I'm like, sure. Like, let's try it. And man, it, it worked. Like it started with painting the kitchen and we were just like, 
I just like went down this rabbit hole. I was like, how cool would it be if we could renovate this whole place with just the stimulus checks? So we we <laughs> renovate everything. And I remember it gives me two more weeks to like finish this last thing before the surgery. And that so wouldn't have been my perspective before that renovation process. And um, I uh, finally do go in to get the knee replacement. It, it's always amazing how surgery feels. You go under anesthesia and it, it just feels like you blink. Mm. And like you ask yourself, did the surgery even happen? And I just remember that was the first surgery I woke up from where I was like, the pain's gone. Mm. And uh, man, you know something about pain? Not that people don't care about what you're going through, but they only want to hear so much about it, right? Like, sure, you feel bad for somebody, but like, if if you if you see somebody and every time you see them, all it is all it's about is how much pain they're in and how miserable they are. You know that's not a good experience for either party. And there were so many times I just like I I I've sort of known this and was introspective about it, so I'd always just fake the smile and the demeanor, and it just pulled so much out of that that mental well for me to like fake being in a good way for so long while like really masking all this pain and agony and this is like the first time i was not in pain waking up and i just like oh i just remember like crying i was like you know what even if i don't get to be an athlete again at least i'm not in pain anymore like i don't feel like i want to be dead and that that is worth its waiting gold um I remember that day I started walking, I don't know, two hours after the surgery. And I did like 10 laps around like the inside of the hospital. And I was just like buzzing. Like, I don't think anyone was getting me off that high. <laughs> um, and after the knee replacement, it was, it was really like the start of like reclaiming my life again. And I never had climbing on the mind uh, really because I had so many surgeons tell me beforehand that like you'll never climb again like things like that and i don't think they were wrong for telling me that um i think given the data their understanding of like the outcome of a person with a knee replacement even good outcomes and just their lack of having people my age going through something like that i don't think they had any basis to try to tell me something like yeah it could be possible like i think that would have been very misleading and setting me up to be you know, underappreciative of like the success that was the surgery and having the most important thing, which is just being able to walk. I mean, man, like my appreciation for walking these days is just what a fucking gift. Mm. Being able to walk, man, just to be able to like go on a walk with my son and my wife and ugh. I mean, how many metaphors do they have for like having two legs to stand on? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, be a man, face your fear, stand up and take it. Like they have so many metaphors for like how important it is to be able to stand on your own two feet. And I didn't have that for so And to get that back, man, it's, it's just, it's, it's everything. 
or it, it felt like everything. Um, it today I value it as it's still so much, but yeah, I don't, I don't think the doctors misled me for what they said, but like as things started to improve, like the recovery was feeling so quick from my knee replacement. I remember uh, it's mandatory after you get a knee replacement for the first, I think it's two weeks or a month. I don't remember. They, you, they send a nurse to your house to do PT with you. And I remember them coming and they're like, clearly used to working with the elderly or something. They're like, I answered the front door and they're like, you're out of bed. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and they were just like, they, they almost didn't have like a protocol to give me PT because they're just like, okay, you're not supposed to be able to walk up and down the stairs yet. So I don't, I don't know what this means. Yeah. <laughs> but the progression just, it was, it was just happening so quick. And, and at this point, my mind was just still very much on, yeah, maybe I can walk again. And I was starting to ride my bike again. And I was just so happy I could like get on my bike and enjoy that with my wife. And yeah. And then, and then slowly, like it, it felt like the possibilities kept opening up some, but at the same time, I still didn't know what was possible because for a while I could only bend my leg to like maybe 90 degrees. And I'll tell you what, like having a huge range of motion loss like that, it changes a lot. Mm. Uh, way more than I recognized even initially because not even thinking about climbing yet. It's like, if you can't bend your leg past 90, you can't squat down to pick something up. Tying your shoes is difficult. Going to the bathroom is even hard because your leg is usually slightly more bent than 90 when you're on a toilet. Mm. Everything becomes hard. Even going upstairs is harder because like, I, I remember feeling like the top of my foot, like, whacking stairs constantly and almost tripping me because like I was never able to naturally just pull my leg up that well, like when stepping over objects. And I remember having conversations with my surgeons and I'm like, I'm like, can I work on like increasing my range of motion? I'm like, like what will happen? Like, I don't understand this prosthesis enough in my leg to like know, you know, what will happen if I just keep pushing it? Does it eventually snap? Do you guys know that? And it was so frustrating. Again, not on the doctors, but they're like, we don't know. We don't have data. We don't know. Yeah. They're like, this could be okay. You probably won't ever sit on your heels again or anything like that. But they're like, yeah, maybe you can get to like 120 or something. And I'm thinking like 120 is going from a right angle like this to maybe like, maybe like that. You know, we're not talking like leaps and bounds to the mobility of that your average climber has that just being able to comfortably sit on their heel, mm -hmm. which was something I just took for granted for so long. And I actually accepted that idea for a long time. Like I was like, okay, I'm not going to go past 120 because I was so appreciative of just having this functional leg again. Like I can walk on this thing without pain. And that is the most important thing, period. And not that I was thrilled about like what I knew it meant I was still giving up, but I was like at least sort of accepting of that. Eventually, like my little sister, uh, it's funny, my little sister's younger than my son, but it's a whole other story. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I wanted to do something nice for my little sister. So I was like, okay, like let's take her climbing, Katie. What do you think? And I remember Katie looking at me like, it's not like going to cause you trauma, like mentally, if we go to a rock gym and I'm thinking to myself, like, no, like 
I'm just so happy to like where things are at versus like that place where I where like living felt like such a task. And I remember like putting her up on the wall. She seemed like she was having a reasonably okay time. I remember very, very similar to that story with Craig DiMartino where he like went back climbing with this kid and they're like, all right, you're going to go up now, right? I remember my uh, sister at Bella, she, she was like, do you want to try? Like, she wasn't as like forthcoming about it of like, you're going to go up, right? But she was like, do you want to try too? And I, I remember like looking at it thinking, it's top rope. Like nothing goes wrong on top rope if I actually tie in and I'm not stupid. So I was like, Let, let's try it. Like whatever. Like if anything, it will just reinforce that I can't do this anymore. And oddly enough, it was somewhere kind of in the middle. Like I was able to do it. It was like, maybe like a five, six or something. And it didn't feel great. Cause like every time I kind of like bent my leg into that, like 120 degree position, it hurt, you know, it felt like kind of like when you bend a wishbone point together, like it's not an actual hinge. It feels like you're bending Mm. like a solid object. That's kind of how it felt, but I was able to do it. And I was like, I mean, maybe this will get easier the more I do it. And I remember trying to do it every now and then for a bit. Uh, So like timelines here, Uh, the surgery for my knee replacement was March 21st, 2021. I think that's the correct date or March 8th. And this was your 12th total surgery, I think. I have that written down. Yeah. Yeah. So two and a half years of surgeries and pain and waiting and not knowing if you'd ever be able to walk again. and Yeah, I mean, I I suppose it was just under three years because if you look at the initial injury of August 13th, 2018, and we go to March 21st, 2021, we're, we're almost at that three-year mark. And so I'm just trying to collect myself. It's yeah, brings in so many, so many feelings. Um, but yeah, I, st- I tried sticking with climbing for a bit. And I remember I eventually did get to this point where I was just kind of getting frustrated because I was like, I don't think I want to do this sport if it just means I'm always going to be fighting against this like limitation on my leg where like anytime I high step up my left leg, it hurts. Anytime I try to weight it, it hurts like in that bent position. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rumple. Fall is here. That means the temps are dropping and it's time to get cozy. And nothing is cozier than bundling up with the Sherpa Puffy Blanket from Rumple. As if the original Puffy Blanket wasn't cozy enough, the Sherpa Puffy Blanket combines impossibly soft Sherpa fleece with their original Puffy Blanket design. As all of you know, I live in a van, and the Sherpa Puffy Blanket has been ideal for adding extra warmth during these crisp fall nights. It's getting cold, and I've been sleeping with this thing every night for the past couple weeks, and it's almost too cozy. I absolutely love it. The Sherpa Puffy Blanket has a stain and water-resistant topside, anti-static and antimicrobial fleece. It's made from 100% recycled materials, and it's machine washable. And it's truly the coziest blanket I've ever 
owned. It's perfect for staying warm at the boulders or at the crag during the fall season. It's great for camping and just great to have around the house. Watch a movie, cozy up with this rumple blanket. Head over to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout. This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 is one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. As you all know, because I talk about it a lot, I prioritize eating whole foods when it comes to my nutrition. But it can be really hard to get fresh produce and high-quality food when you live on the road or travel to remote climbing areas like I do. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 per day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. Win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com nugget. That's drinkag1.com nugget. Check it out. And now back to the show. Where are we at now on the timeline? Like how long after your knee replacement is right. this? So, so the surgery was like March 21st, 2021. And at this point where I was kind of getting frustrated with the thing, I was at like June of 2021, give or take. And I, I still tried to like keep going with it. So eventually like I decided to go sport climbing um, with, with uh, Katie up at Rumney, which I know you and I talked about this. You haven't been there yet, but uh, really good climbing up there, both bouldering and sport, but it's really a sport destination. That's uh, amazing. Hope you can get there at some point. Yeah, definitely will. Uh, yeah, and you can shoot me a text when you do <laughs> <laughs> so we can, so I can show up. <laughs> awesome. Um, but I remember we got on this uh, 5.9. It was called Puppy Love. And I was going up to it. I was two bolts clipped in, I think. And I was climbing above the second bolt. And I remember like looking down and going, Katie, like, am I on the wrong route right now? She's like, yeah, I think so. And I think just because I was out of the game so long, my communication was just very poor for trying to sport climb. I was like, okay, take. And then I just let go of the wall. Like I didn't wait for an, I got you. Uh, mm. I didn't wait for her response. That would have been like, no, no, like down climb to your bolt first, blah, blah, blah. And I took this big swing into this uh, adjacent, like, sloping boulder and trying to protect my injured recovering leg, I stuck out my good leg. Like, no, this leg's going to take the the impact, not this leg. And I thought at that moment I messed up my good knee because it felt like it was my knee that hurt, that hurt so bad after I ended up spraining my gastric uh, muscle which is like the pretty looking calf muscle mm. on the calves. <laughs> and mm. apparently the sensation of when you injure that is it feels like knee pain uh, because the way it, it sort of connects in. Mm. And I remember like having to crawl out of that crag basically. Like Katie hauled her gear and my gear while practically shouldering me. And we're not talking about, you know, somebody who's even the same height as me who's, you know, like got Puccio strength. We're talking all, <laughs> like... 
you know, she's she's like five five and she's very petite. She's a size zero and man, like the willpower on that girl is just incredible. Hmm. Um, but like we get to the bottom of the crag because the approach from where we were to the parking lot, so to speak, is just like very, very quick and steep elevation. That's sort of what Rumney's known for. Like you, you hit the parking lot and then you're immediately on the up. And I remember just like sitting by one of the restrooms, like not not like bawling, but like I, I was crying. And like Katie's like, but what's going on? Like, talk to me. Tell me what you're thinking. Cause I was just like, I couldn't even get the words that I was like choking on him. And I was just like, Am I being an idiot right now? And I think it was a fair question looking back. Like, I was like, here I am getting that second chance, so to speak, that everyone prays for, but doesn't get a second chance, right? Like, you know, like, like the Quins of the world who like, mm. you know, lose their mobility in their legs or something from a bad climbing fall. Like, like I'm like, I'm, you know, like here I am. Am I blowing it? You know, like I'm getting my second chance. Am I blowing it? Am I being stupid? And I remember Katie just, she didn't answer me, but she thought about it. She's like, I don't know. That was the response. And our relationship with climbing got a little weird after that. Um, begged my surgeon to see me like ASAP to make sure I didn't hurt my like good knee. Good knee. I, I, I've been told so many times I shouldn't even use jargon like that. Mm. She never refer to one knee as bad and one as good. It should always be like, you know, weak or recovering versus like the strong one um, or dominant one or something that isn't so negative reinforcing. Mm-hmm. And thankfully my surgeon confirmed he's like, nope, you just sprained your calf like just got to lay, lay off it for like a month. And I did. And when I did finally start feeling better again, I I was starting to get into the mindset of like, like, I know I want to marry Katie. So I, I need to propose. Like, I got to figure out how I want to do that. And I remember like talking to one of my uh, close friends, uh, my friend Eric. And, you know, just as another aside real quick, um, I don't hold it against anybody, but it's like when we talk about like identity being so closely tied to something like climbing, in many ways, we're also talking about like these friendship groups that you build through like this commonality. And and losing that was really hard too. I like lost that for a long time and people that I thought I had such strong connections with. And I, and I think I did have strong connections with them. Um, I didn't feel like I had those friends anymore. Mm-hmm. because what we shared together was climbing and when you and I, I think I have friends today where that would be the case where like what I share with them is climbing and if you take that away it's organically going to sort of fade and that was tough in itself but I, I did have a few friends that uh just stayed in touch with me for the whole thing and continued to try to find ways to connect with me regardless through all that. And man, I have a lot of respect for that. But uh, I remember telling Eric my plan. I was like, I want to I wanna ask Katie to marry me. And I don't know. I, I think it would be cool if we went to like Acadia National Park or something like that to like to do it. And he was like, yeah, sounds good. Like, let's, let's get the trip going and, uh, and make it happen. So 
we go to Arcadia National Park and it was tough because like I feel like I'm normally a pretty decent like public speaker. Like I've sat in front of so many like C-level employees and had to like close deals and everything. And I've had to like iron those nerves out so many times in my life. Like when I first started learning how to cold call and you know, all these things early on in my career after graduating college. And I was nervous as all heck of like doing this proposal. And I, I remember just like carrying the ring with me everywhere I went in Arcadia, like thinking like, is this going to be the moment I do it? Is this going to be the moment? And and something kept happening where like the plan would get botched. Like the first day we were there, like we went to this beautiful area called Otter Cliff. And believe it or not, that was the first time I had to repel. And the ATC device I was using was awful. It had no teeth on it. So like if you let up on the brake hand even slightly, it was like, shoop, like you just slid down so quick. And I did that once and then top rope backed up and climbed. And like, then I was just like scared shitless to do a second repel because I'm like, oh my God, like my, what if I'm like going over this edge, I bend my knees slightly uncomfortable and I get this like sharp pain, which mm. which was happening. And I like just let go of the brake hand because it's a bee sting almost. Like, am I just going to fly down and die? And yeah, I think that actually could have happened. Um, so I like, froze up and locked up that day. I was just like not in a good headspace anymore for the day. So then the next day we ended up going on a hike up like a mountain because I think my friend Eric could see like, okay, we got to like not climb today. We got to like get Travis in his like confident mode. So we like hike up a mountain and I felt really good about that because it's like, yeah, I'm hiking up something with, you know, my leg uh, without like trekking poles or crutches or, you know, asking somebody to hold my gear or anything like that. And I remember being at the top of that thinking like, okay, this is the moment. And it it could have been the moment maybe, but like there were so many people up there and they were doing like the selfie thing. And I I don't know. It didn't feel like Katie and I didn't feel like Mm, us. And I didn't want it to feel forced. Sounds like the right. So then the last day we were in Arcadia, we went to another crag. Uh, where like some very popular mega classics are because I wanted to make sure no matter what my friend Eric, who's very talented uh, climber and very dedicated to the sport, like got on some things that he was actually interested in since he, you know, made the trip out there too. So we get on something like Old Town, for example. And it was a great day. Had a great day at the crag for the most part. And I'm um, thinking like, this is going to be it. We have a beautiful view. Like, this is it. And uh, <laughs> I still can't believe it to this day. There was like this piece of shit dad that was there who was just belittling like his, I don't know, his like three-year-old and like maybe six-year-old two kids that were there mm-hmm. because they were there for like, I'd say six hours and his kids were like, well behaved for like five hours or so, which is amazing for kids of that age. And eventually like they had enough. They don't want to like watch dad and his girlfriend climb anymore. So like they're looking to do something else and they're like, like, dad, we, we want to like go get ice cream or do something. And I remember hitting, just telling them to like, shut up. And he's like, you two are so ungrateful. Mm. And like his daughter at this point just starts wailing, like going into full oh, meltdown mode. Those, those kids are going to have to do some therapy when they're older. Damn. <laughs> yeah, most likely. <laughs> I remember uh, Eric's uh, girlfriend at the time um, had come up to 
him who then came up to me and was like, please tell me you don't plan on proposing right now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not an idiot. <laughs> so I end up not proposing on this trip, basically. Oh, and funny. <laughs> funny. Yeah, I, I find out from Katie later. She had like a hunch I was going to propose on the trip. So when I didn't, she was like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember coming back from the trip uh, and we were like on the last days of our day days off we took and everything like that. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I want to propose her. I don't want to like get cold feet and not do this. So one of the things Katie and I always uh, did together and uh, we, we need to get back to more of, I've just been so in the climbing mode. Uh, is we'd go on our bike rides to a place called India Point Park, um, you know, not too far from our place along the East Bay bike path, which if you ever come to Rhode Island, please check out the East Bay bike path, whether it's to walk it or cycle it or anything. It is just gorgeous. Mm. Uh, And it takes you through so many different areas where you can have good food, get amazing views. And, uh, you know, again, with Rhode Island being so small, go through four different towns, which is like... And we're talking like a 15 mile block. So of like stretch to be able to do that is just unique in itself. But I was like, you know what? Let's go to India Point. And I'm going to treat it just like how I treat all our bike rides. I'm going to pretend like we're just going to go get coffee, sit at India Point and and relax. And I also gave up coffee. So I I understand. (laughs) (laughs) And um, while we were at India Point, I was like, oh, like, come check out this thing in the water. And I remember her just being like, what the fuck is he doing? (laughs) And I had my uh, close friend, like, kind of behind me at the same time, because I told him, like, my plan. He was, like, going to get a photo and video record it and everything. And I was like, yeah, yeah, look at that thing over there. And, like, while she was turning her head, like, I got down on my knee. I did it. And I just remember her, like, not believing it was happening almost. Um, I asked her to marry me. And (laughs) this this goes back into the first time I asked her out. Um, I sort of got in my head. I remember like telling like everyone I was close to, like, oh, I'm seeing this girl, like really into her. She's awesome. She climbs, she runs, she's like killer athlete. And they're like, bro, like, you can't treat this like you've done like all those girls you like just messed around with. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, like you got to ask her out and like, you got to treat this seriously. If you don't do that girl like this, it's going to walk. And normally I wouldn't believe something like that. Like, but I, I was hearing it from so many different sources. I actually did start believing. And I was like, shit, maybe they're right. I mean, I've <laughs> only been kind of dating her for two weeks now, but maybe I, maybe I got to put that foot forward. Like I am in my late twenties and show her like I'm serious. So I remember we were at Rumney and um, I asked her out. I, you know, I tried to do it in like as cute of a way as I could. I I got like a carabiner engraved with the date and everything and, you know, asked her out in private. And she didn't tell me no, but she told me not yet. Mm. <laughs> and that, that was actually, that actually made me really happy. Mm. Um, That's because cool. I was like, oh, like in sales, like you get a, a not yet. That's a great answer. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh listen like you can't you can't be in sales and shut down every time you get a no otherwise like it's just not the right career path right um and i remember that night for whatever reason uh we didn't have signal but she had apparently texted me after that this like pretty like long thoughtful response of like 
hey, I hope you don't take that as a no. It's just like, I need some more time before I'm ready. I, I just got out of this other relationship not too many months ago and blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, I didn't, I didn't get that till like two months later until we were official. Oh, funny. And it just randomly popped up on my Apple Watch one day <laughs> as we were leaving, after we had left getting breakfast together. Yeah. And I didn't know what to make of it because I was like, is she, is she dumping me right now? <laughs> and I just remember like going into like full panic. And, and she's like, dude, I sent that months ago and you asked me out. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it was up in the like, cloud somewhere. How did I not somewhere. get that message? That's so funny. Yeah, so even before that, when I asked her out, the first time like, I kind of confessed that like I was into her and liked her, I asked if I could kiss her because all my friends are like, dude, don't just go in for the kiss. Like, you got to ask her. You got to be polite with this with her because I was, there were people that knew Katie way before I knew her for years. Like my friend Eric had known Katie for like a decade. And I was like, you know, if if Eric is saying like, I need to ask first, it's so not my style and who I am. Like, I would go for it. That's kind of who I've always been. But I don't want to mess this up. So I asked, and she, if I asked if I could kiss her, and she jokingly said no, then she kissed me. Mm. So, like, <laughs> when I did ask her to finally marry me, she said no, jokingly. And, uh, you know, then she kissed me, and, you know, I knew it was a yes. And she said, of course. And mm. yeah. And it's beautiful. I'm, I'm just so thankful for that girl in my life. She's, Oh, I love her so much. And the more time we spend together, the more I love her. Mm. Yeah. She's just a really selfless person. In a way, I have trouble imagining myself being even. Like, I feel like she would just do anything to see me happy. Like, for example, uh, I didn't even mention this when I when I did go for that knee injury and everything she essentially quit climbing. And I remember pleading with her like, Katie, like, don't give this up for like, because of my situation. I don't think I do the same in reverse. And asking myself today, I still don't know. I don't think I do the reverse. I don't think I'd give it all up if she got injured. And at the same time, I, don't, I wouldn't know that till it happened, I'm sure. Yeah. She did explain to me that like, when she tried going to the rock gym without me there, it just like, it hurt her too much. Hmm. But like, she like gave up, like she, she was always willing to give anything up just to like see me happy. And I don't know who does that. Like, wow. you, you know, and I always think like, it's so easy to have a good relationship with somebody when, when everything's good, when the money's good, when the health is good, when it's just like, sex and kisses right like it's it's hard not to like be swept up in that experience and just enjoy it but like when when shit gets really hard man you get to like really see what people are made out of mm. like do they do they jump ship or are they like no like you're my ride or die and she really never wavered um and like we weren't even that long into dating when i got injured we're, we're like what six months in when I like broke my knee and she just stuck through me through all of it and I'm just I appreciate it so much and 
mm, I'll never be able to to repay that debt. Mm. But man, do I am I thankful. Um, just really, really lucky. Uh, but yeah, we, you know, we got married, and and, and in in her typical fashion. We had planned for our honeymoon to go to Chamonix and um, hike around Mont Blanc. It's uh, called like the Tour de Blanc or something like that. And it's it's 100 miles. And she is just a way more experienced mountaineer in every re- respect of the word. She was looking at all the gear I was packing. And she's like, dude, like it's just too much gear. Like you can't bring all that. Like I'm bringing my, my Steam Deck, you know, it's this video game console. Because I'm just like, I'm just so stupid <laughs> when it came to like doing a long distance hike like that. And she's like, your legs not like fully, fully rehabbed to the point where like, you're going to haul that kind of gear. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be fine. I'm like, we've hiked plenty of mountains at this point. And we did. And I'm like thinking it's going to be fine. Well, I didn't weigh it, but I'd say I had about 45, po- 45 pounds on my back, give or take. So we're doing the first day of the hike on Mont Blanc. and we end up taking some kind of variation that was not the intended way, which put us from a course of 1,000 feet of elevation to 9,000 feet of elevation Ooh. instead. <laughs> wow. Compounded with, it was so hot. Mm. And compounded with, there was like some ultra marathon happening at the same time. So every five seconds, we had to step off the path, let somebody run by. And man, it just made it so hard. So I remember at the end of the day, one of the hikes, I'm in tears. I'm in agony. And I'm thinking to myself, like, even if I couldn't get through this, it's going to be miserable. And and she was just willing to, like, like her usual self, change the whole plan. She's like, I want you to be happy. She's like, so we ended up just booking a hotel in Chamonix instead, which worked out so well because the IFSC was happening there at the same time just by coincidence. And we got to see, you know, Adamandra win and Yanya win, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and like get to see that whole sport climbing competition live and really enjoy Chamonix and what a beautiful place it was. And, you know, it's just, she, she's always willing to do so much to make me happy. And, you know, I want to do more to make her happy. And I try, and I, I do feel I, I try to do my best to make her happy, but like, man, I, I just can't, I can't, compete with everything she's done with me not that it's a competition but. <laughs> it's funny it's such a it's such a you way of thinking about it i'm sure she thinks about it completely differently but i i hear what you're saying yeah T- totally and i'm sure she'd give you a completely different answer to mm. it all and uh yeah i'm just i'm so blessed to have her and all, all the all the people that really helped me in the journey you know like like my my boss, even my employer, like the fact that they were so gracious to me and worked with me, like through all that, like I had to take so much time out of work and, you know, because of all that support they were giving me and just because I really needed somewhere to put my mind and energy into, you know, I like grew my book of business by like twofold yeah, at one point through like a lot of those surgeries and everything, just because it, it was helpful to have that energy to put, put myself into and, and I just had so much support. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the medical staff, you know, surgeons, nurses, 
PTs. I mean, so many people were just made this all possible for me to like resume my life. So just really grateful for all that. But uh, when we did come back from Chamonix and everything, uh, my friend Eric had orchestrated like a Labor Day uh, get together at uh, Lincoln Woods, which is like, you know, the most popular climbing destination in Rhode Island for bouldering. What year is this? And this is 2022 at this point, September of 2022. Okay. And I remember bumping into this massage therapist. Her name's Alexa. Love her to pieces. She was just so stoked to have meet me. She's like, I've heard so much about this knee. I'm so <laughs> excited to work with it. I'm like, uh, who are you? <laughs> Why are you touching my leg? I'm married. <laughs> um, and she's like, dude, I've heard all about this knee. She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get your full range of motion back. You are going to sit on your heels again. And she, she was just so elated and so confident. And man, that like, that that really shifted my perspective and it and it meant so much to me at that time because it was like holy shit this is like the first person that's like believing i can rebuild this like to something that resembles my old leg again and we we drilled it for a while we went for some hard pt on our table um and massaging and scraping scar tissue and working the range of motion and i and i was actually going to physical therapy too in tandem with Really terrific PT, uh, Jacqueline, who worked with me. I had the same PT for the whole journey of the injury. And man, just she was so patient with me and really took the time to get to understand me and would do additional research about, you know, my injury and like climbing and ranges of movement. Uh, you know, and it's not like these people are getting extra compensation for that. Um, so like, you know, for, for somebody to do all that was just uh, really humbling. And I worked with Alexa and Jacqueline for a while. And I remember there was like this epiphany, like not, not epiphany rather, but like this big breakthrough. I was just able to sit on my heels one day and just start crying because I was like, oh my God, like it's possible. Like mm. I, I have full range of motion again. And at that point, it, it just, it all felt possible again. Like, like I can actually pursue the sport again in a way like I want to. So I went in, I went in hard, uh, like I have to this day. Um, got on an, uh, an adult climbing training team. I cut this amazing coach, uh, Ben and still work with him twice a week. Like I have climbing team tonight, for example, nice. from 7.30 to 9.30. And I started working with him uh, roughly in like October of 2022 or so. Or no, rather, it was November of 2022. And I was doing like V3 outside, give or take at that time. And in less than a year's time, uh, June of 2020 that would be 2023 right yeah this year yeah yeah june of 2023 it's amazing like <laughs> how recent it still all is and mm. i guess in a sense but 
I, I had done my first V10 outside and, eh, you know, I, I owe so much of that to just so many people and, and for like the climbing technicalities and everything, definitely my coach, Ben. Um, I remember one day he just looked at me and he said, I want you to do a pistol squat right now. And I'm like, sure. So I do a pistol squat and it's on my strong leg. It's like on your other leg, Travis. I'm like, I'm like Ben, I'm like you realize this is a fake knee, yada, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, try it anyway. I'm like, sure, man. And I just bang out a pistol squat, like stunning myself. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is possible. He's like, yeah, I've been, I've been Mr. Miyagiing you the whole time. Wax on, wax off. I've been giving you exercises and building up that leg, and you didn't even know it. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> like <laughs> amazing. And I just felt like, I still feel like the sky is sort of the limit. Like I'm able to just sort of do it all again with my leg. I don't feel, I just don't feel limited. It, I won't say it feels like my old leg, I don't think that will ever be possible again. But it feels really valuable to me. I'm very grateful for this knee. And I don't feel like I'm swimming against the tide anymore. I feel like I'm just learning how to swim in a new pool, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, you know, from the time I got my knee replacement to, I would say like September of 2023, like, it's always been in my nature uh, when I go in hard and I have like something I'm passionate about, I work out hard, I dial in my nutrition. Went from 190 to 135. Uh, my uh, friend slash boss, who's a really impressive athlete, he's done 10 Ironmans. He, he's like, let's go get a DEXA scan. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. I am curious where I'm at. Like clocked in at like 5.5% body fat. And, Jesus, uh, dude. You know, <laughs> it, it showed. <laughs> wow. You know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I had no vanity, but yeah. uh, it's just very proud of like what all like felt achievable. And mm. yeah, then I just started like going in hard and, and training and eventually got a, got a V11, but I need more people to climb the thing and verify the grade. But uh, after talking with the person that put up the FA, um, uh, because one of the crux holds broke, uh, he felt strongly it, it jumped the grade to V11. I think it was significantly higher than every V10 that I've sent. Um, so I, I think I think it stands, but that kind of brings us back to our original conversation of, right. you know, even if somebody comes one day and says it's V7, which, you know, wouldn't happen, but it doesn't invalidate the process of... Um, going through that like i was hauling pads into rocky point staying there till 1 a.m in the morning um i did a big cleanup on the area because every boulder i spent a lot of time at i i try to leave it better than i found it and mm. i just do a huge cleanup in the area like rake everything out pull out all the garbage That's scrub cool. the rock clean yeah uh just because not that it's like a tangible entity with feelings or something like that but it's like these boulders have given me so much in a in a way that's very difficult for me to articulate. Like it, it like gave me my soul back in a way, and I just have so much respect for for it all. And uh, I'm just so thankful for it. And 
you know, I love this community and I, I love being able to establish new routes and find new boulders. Like, uh, just found this big glacial erratic the other day in uh, Bristol, Rhode Island, which, uh, like I'm joking with everybody. I'm like, they all said it couldn't be done. There's no boulders in this area of the state, but I found like this big boulder right on the water. And, you know, I'm just stoked to go back and like put some lines on it. Uh, and I found it just cause like two in the morning, I'm coming through Google maps and satellite views and I'm like zooming in. I'm like, that could be a boulder. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like marking the pin and I'm getting to it like the next day I have time. And mm. yeah. And it, you know, I've never been like an artist or anything. Like I used to play piano, but I never wrote my own songs. And uh, it's like the first time I felt like I got to be an artist. Like I could mm. see a line, That's create cool. it and, and leave a mark in some way. So and it was such a journey. And I know, I know I said this to you last time. I'm not completely sure what all the takeaways are from everything. Cause like I live by this mantra now of don't get injured. And I remember when I first got back into climbing, I was like, yeah, but I'll never, I'll never boulder again. Then eventually I started bouldering. And it's like, yeah, but I will never do a high ball. Trust me, guys. Then I did, a, then I've been doing high balls and there's just like, this curve of like my risk assessment as like I developed my ability as I've really developed my ability to fall and like get very confident that like I'm not going to stick out a limb and lock out and break my my limbs I know I'm going to tuck and tumble and I understand uh, like this fall position and I sometimes work my way into falls too like I don't just throw myself at a dyno on the first attempt maybe it's like I kind of jump and I kind of just reach for the hold, pretending like I'm doing it. Then I jump again and just touch the hold. Then I jump again and try to grab it, then let go. And then it's like, okay, maybe I dyno now and I actually try to hold it. And like having these methodologies has like really kept me safe and allowed me to explore the sport in a much more confident way. And, you know, I'm a much better climber today than I feel I was you know, at any point before my injury. Mm -hmm. So as far as like the takeaways about, you know, I feel like every story has to have some moral, but I don't know, because like, what if the surgeries didn't go well? Like, what if the leg did get amputated? What if like, what if I got addicted to the, the opiates? You know, like what totally. if, what if I never like got out of being in pain? You hear about people with amputations, like they have the phantom pain and like, <sighs> two months after I got injured, my friend came with me once to uh, university orthopedics where I was doing one of my follow-up appointments when I still had that fixator device on that I was telling you about. And there was this guy in a wheelchair there, I'd say he was in his mid fifties, give or take. And he, he just had this look of misery on his face, like all hope was lost. And my, my boss is like a true salesperson. He just talks to everyone. And he's like talking to this guy and trying to get his life story and trying to find out what happened. And he, he tell, told us like, I think it was 20 years prior, he fell off a ladder and hurt his back. And I'm like, damn, 20 years ago, and you can just see the 
the defeat and the agony. And and I get it because I wanted to, I had my moments of not wanting to continue on a year and a half into like dealing with pain. Um, and like, here's somebody who's been in it for decades. And it's like, what if it did go in that direction? Am I still being an idiot doing this sport? You know, am I blowing it? Am I blowing my second chance? Like, not only am I lucky enough to be walking again pain-free, but I get to be fit again. I get to be mobile again. I get to unlock things that, as far as I know, no other athlete with a knee, I don't know any other athletes with a knee replacement, um, so to speak. I did meet one person with a knee replacement who did do some incredible things. His name is Mark Rifkin. He talked to me and super helpful, but in general, I couldn't find any evidence of like athletes that had to do any like sophisticated dynamic movement or anything. And it's like, I've been able to get all these things back. You know, am I being a fool by not just not taking the money and running? Mm. You know what I mean? It, it's sort of like how Alex Honnold always talks about like, yeah, you're a legend for free sewing until you fall and you're just an idiot. Mm. And then it's like, is that the story here? Right now, it's climbers like have a lot of respect for you know what have I what I have achieved, and I appreciate that. But it's like I don't think the concept is wrong. If I did, let's say I rebroke my leg the same way tomorrow, everyone's just going to say I was an idiot. Like what an idiot! And. You know, my my short answer in response to that is like, I'm trying to be as mindful as I can about my approach to this and have like a much clearer understanding of my risk assessment. And this is what like makes me feel the most alive. But that's not an excuse, right? That's just an explanation. And I don't know what the moral of this entire story is, maybe other than like, have some level of introspection. So you go in with eyes wide open, but I don't know, like, it was a hard lesson to learn, like, that amount of suffering. Mm. Like, maybe I'd be dead if that didn't happen. The way I was going forward with the sport, the way I was, like, maybe I would have became that quadriplegic where I would just be begging to be euthanized. You know what I mean? And I know this is, like, the dark side of the sport, you know, like, getting injured. Because usually you just hear about the climbers who fall and die, right? Or like they're going in for like a surgery and like they'll be back the next season. You don't hear about the ones that are like too often that are like just permanently maimed. Uh, where it's like, yep, their life's forever altered and they'll never do the thing again, the things that they did ever again. Like yeah. unless there's some huge medical breakthrough, which in all likelihood isn't going to happen in our lifetimes. But I don't know. I don't know. I I think about these things a lot, uh, maybe to the point of paralysis. And (laughs) I wonder, I I can't help but wonder, you know, I've I've got some thoughts hearing you share all this. It all makes perfect sense. Like all those feelings are completely valid. I can't help but wonder if you're asking or focusing on the wrong question. You know, you're, you're focusing on this question of, am I being an idiot? Um, am I 
squandering or being reckless with my second chance because what a precious thing. But I think you're really just facing the same question that all of us are facing. It's, do I want to live life passionately and to the fullest, even if that brings more risk with it than being safe, you know? And like you had a fluke accident happen to you. The reason you're here is because this is a truly incredible accident. I've never heard anyone else experiencing this. And I know a lot of climbers. And so it's not, you know, free soloing might be a little bit different. You know, a lot of free soloists meet the same ends and you're kind of, to some degree, you know, playing Russian roulette because holds can break and things can be out of your control. But with you, I think you had this fluke accident and certainly it could happen. Something like that could happen again. And maybe, you know, taking gnarly bouldering falls is slightly different for you. And there's a different risk analysis with your, you know, with your replaced knee. But would you be happy and would you be living a full life if you played it safe and just went on walks and sat on the couch and you know, like I could get hurt too, um, being yeah. out there in the woods and, and climbing at night and doing these things. And, um, but I, I think, I think, I think we've tried to make life too safe. You know, I, I think in, in Western society, especially we really try to put, you know, ni nice bumpers on, on everything. And, I think that can really take away from the color and the the richness of life. And we kind of do that thinking that we can cheat these like inevitable things that are a part of life. Like we are all going to die eventually, you know? So we're kind of creating this story that we can do things in a really safe way and, and get rid of all that risk, but it's not really even true. Like we're all going to face aging, illness, death, all that stuff eventually. So the question is like, how do you, how do you want to live your life? And it, it sounds like you are, you have grown from this. You have learned from this. You're not the same reckless climber that you were when you were in your twenties, you're 33 now, you've been through this traumatic thing. Um, so it, it's not like you're doing the exact same thing that you were before. This is like a new you know, interpretation and you're bringing all that perspective with you. So, right. yeah. Very much appreciate hearing that. Um, it's tough because uh, I'm a father, I'm a husband. I don't live just for me anymore. Mm. Um, I guess I haven't in a long time. But it's like, I can't be the best husband and father I feel like I can be if I don't find my own happiness. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, you, you like you brought up some really hard truths, like we are all going to die. We're all going to age. And would would you take the, the fountain of youth if you could? Would I? Yeah. What does that mean? Does that mean like everlasting? If, if the fountain of youth is in front of you. Everlasting you lock life. in who you are today for the foreseeable eternity. And be like frozen in time. In a way. Yeah. Would you? I don't think I would. I would. Hmm. And I don't want to die. <laughs> you know, like mm. there's so much about life that I love to experience. I have so many interests and hobbies and passions. And 
you know, I, I've gone down the YouTube rabbit hole so many times of looking at like videos of like this dude, like Brian Johnson, for example, who is just trying to biohack everything and like reverse his age. And I've gone down the rabbit hole of like looking at the most cutting edge science of like Dr. David Sinclair and like read his book, like lifespan aging and why we don't have to. And like holding on to these notions where even if these breakthroughs are met and they they cure aging like am i going to get access to that probably not but but man it's like it's a testament to i really really don't want to age and and lose it all Mm. because like i just want to experience all of it like i think about all the time there are so many uh are you a gamer um you know i was in high school and and have had like brief chapters where I've kind of tried to get back into it, but, but no, not these days. I was going to say like something a lot of gamers know about is uh, if you're a PC gamer, for example, most PC gamers buy their games from this platform called steam and yeah. Half-life, half-life two. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Familiar with steam. And one of the jokes about that is everyone's got this huge backlog because you just keep buying games every time they're like, on sale for like mm. 99 cents to like five bucks or whatever. And I, I'm guilty of it too. I have a ton of backlog games. And I, I think to myself all the time, if I could just live forever, this wouldn't be an issue. I would eventually <laughs> get to these games. Instead, you're stressed about it. I'd eventually get it. to all these books I've got. Like, mm. I do, I do want to like go on as long as I can. And it, it is frustrating to think that we do have a finite amount of time. And mm. Yeah, you know, it's that like that precious moment you talk about is like very much like that lightning in a bottle. Uh, yeah, well, like I want to hold on to that as long as I can. So I appreciate everything you said. Uh, I, I do think I, I learned a lot from the injury and I do have a different introspective mindset. And that's why I have that whole mantra now, don't get injured like, it's never worth like when that injury assessment risk I make in my head goes to that level of like injury potential, you know, is quite high or something like that. I, cause I know what it's like to, I know what it's like to not, like I want to live so bad right now where I, I'm telling you, like, I don't want to ever die, but man, I know what it's like to want to die. Mm. And it's amazing how like just one variable has to change and the whole mindset, the whole lifestyle, really everything that, that made me, me felt like it was erased and replaced with some other version of myself that I'm having trouble recognizing today. So these are the things where I say, I think about things a lot to the point where Maybe I overthink or get paralysis because I just, I know what's at stake. If, uh, if I, I, I know what I've been given and I know what I'm risking when I'm risking it. Yeah. And that it's a sense. heavy, it's a, it feels like a heavy responsibility because I feel like I have a responsibility to my wife who gave up so much for so long and to my son to, to keep myself going and healthy and the moment you tie in a rope, you're not 
minimizing your risk as much as you could. Mm. But, you know, like, where's the line? And totally. I hope I never find it again and step over it. Right. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel. I've tried a lot of different chalk in my 15 plus years of climbing, and this is my favorite chalk. I love the texture. It's got the perfect amount of grit to it that makes it feel stickier than other chalks. And I swear to you, it stays on my hands longer than other chalks. That's the most important part. And if you're trying a long boulder problem or a pumpy sport climb or a trad climb, not having to stop and chalk up as often can make all the difference. Head over to chalkcartel.com and check out their shop. They've got quarters, they've got kilos, they've even got a sample pack for $3. I call that the dime bag. So you can try it out before diving elbow deep into your chalk bucket. And if you're already hooked on it, like me, you can buy a subscription and have amazing chalk automatically sent to your house. So cool. You can have it delivered every month, every two months, or every three months. All their packaging is eco-friendly, so keeping your chalk bag full has never been easier or lower impact. So check them out, chalkcartel.com, and use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next purchase and get ready to join the cartel. I will leave you with this friendly message from my three-year-old niece. Chalk Cartel. You're either for us or we're against you. This episode is brought to you by Wonderful Pistachios. You guys know that I mostly eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, right? I've talked about that a lot. But I always need good crag snacks to bring to the boulders or to the cliff. I like to bring a whole meal as well, but you know, you don't want to have a bag full of Tupperware and things like that. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help keep you feeling fuller longer than other snacks. And they are so convenient and so tasty. Their no-shell flavors include the classic roasted and salted. That one is my favorite. It's super basic, but I love it. Salt and pepper, honey roasted, chili roasted, and smoky barbecue. They are all so good. You literally can't go wrong. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of sizes, perfect for enjoying by yourself or with family and friends or taking them with you on your climbing adventures. So whether you're hitting the climbing gym after work or heading out on a weekend adventure, fuel up with a healthy and tasty snack. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Again, that's wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. And now back to the show. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, I, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, where is the line exactly? Because, you know, every time you get in a car to go somewhere, you're you're stepping into more risk than you would be if you were sitting at your house in a bubble, you know, or sitting on the couch. That doesn't Definitely. mean you shouldn't ever drive. It's just. No, but yeah. it's like, we drive a lot, right? So should we also fly a plane a lot in conjunction <laughs> with that? Mm. Then should we also add. High balls. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Should we also add high like Right, right, People right. always say I like statistically, you. the more you free solo, eventually you're going to fall. Well, I mean, I guess you could say that for anything. Statistically, the more risky things you keep adding to your life, your odds go up that one of these things will happen. Do you have these conversations with Katie? I imagine you must. And what does she want for you? 
Because I, I was, I was wanted to, you kind of answered all my questions. I had a ton of questions for you and then you just did a, such a beautiful job of taking us through your whole journey <laughs> that I didn't have to ask any of them. But um, some that I'd written down was around her support for you and how you supported her through that time. Because I was imagining, you know, being in both of your shoes and, and I think I would have a really hard time being where you were you know, especially in like such a new relationship and feeling like I was someone's ball and chain, like I was keeping them from, because I'm such an individual person, like I live in a van and travel all the time for a reason. And I've been in very few relationships in the last few years because I like freedom so much. And I would project that onto my partner and feel so guilty, I think, if I felt like I was keeping them from living their fullest, freest life. Where even if they, even if they were like insistent on, on like being there for me and helping me, I would probably be a real pain in the ass, like trying to push them away, you know? You're not wrong at all. And man, those, those moments happened during and believe it or not, after the knee replacement. And during like, initially it was very tempting to, to want to push away, but like, I don't know, maybe I'm selfish. I wanted to be with her so bad, but I did, I did verbally tell her constantly like, Hey, look, like you didn't sign up for this. Like you don't have to do all this. Like I will figure this out. I will recover someday. And, you know, I, I had a mindset like going through all the time. Like I was always clinging on to, to hope at different stages. Like, like the doctors have said, I'm eventually getting through this. Like I will eventually get through this. And I don't know where things would be at in my head if I had more of like a, a finite ending to it all, where it's like, you're a cripple now. This is you. Maybe I would have been more forceful and been like, Katie, I can't do that to you. Like, mm. maybe I, no, and I made that would have been my perspective if I was like, like, if I knew I was a cripple for the rest of my life. Like, maybe if I were paralyzed from the chest down or something, I would push and say, Katie, I can't be with you anymore. I feel like that's what I would have done, but like, I can't do that. I just can't. And, you know, I feel very different about those things now being married and the the stage we're at, like she's a climber too. If it, if it happened to her and she was paralyzed in the chest down, no doubt I'm standing by her side. I don't care. Like I'm there period. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's something she earned from me or something I would have always done, but mm -hmm. like, I never thought I'd get married. I was, you know, kind of a player for lack of a better word in many ways. Cause you know, successful at my career and before I got injured and still successful at my career, but uh, just, I had all the tools to do the things that single men do. And, you know, it, I never had like these notions of like, oh, I'm going to fall in love and get married and yada, yada, yada. But all that did happen. And, uh, then I had that experience and then I got married with all that stuff in the past. So it's like that, that all culminated and contributes to this like experience of, you know, I, I don't know if my perspective, if like she ever got hurt today, it's just a product of all that experience I had, or if that was always innate within me. And right. it, it probably doesn't matter at the end of the day, because these are just hypotheticals, but yeah, it, it, I was, I think I was able to, to continue to, to allow myself to continue to be with Katie and the initial injuries. And I think, cause one, I didn't think it was permanent and it, 
it did like give me a lot of purpose. I don't want to paint this picture like I was useless. Um, we were, I was still like doing well in my career and and bringing in money and like I was still trying to create experiences for us, like going out to to dinners and and traveling. Like even in my crippled way, like I was still. I had moments of when I was able to ride my bike between certain surgeries with my brace on and it, it was tough, but like we got to bike around like Block Island and we went up to Lake Placid and, you know, but we, I was still trying to give her like a world that like she could love. And it it's kind of interesting in some ways. I think like, she misses those times. Um, this is more speculation on my part, but like we spent a lot of time together at that time, way more than we do now. Uh, the pandemic also facilitated that because teacher, she was working at home for a while. Like we just had so much time together that it's sort of something that can only exist in a bubble. And when I did recover and got my knee replacement, I don't know if I should be talking about these things, but we, we did have our moments of like, of of some, I don't want to say like fights, but like some hard disagreements and questioning in our relationship because she went from such a caretaker role with me to, to like, like now she's just my fiance again, mm. not like my girlfriend and my, my nurse. And I think her losing a lot of the things that she used to have to do for me, like very mundane things, like just to have to like go and grab something simple for me down the stairs because like she knows that me having to do it would have been agony. And for her to do it, it's like, you know, snapping a finger. And I got those abilities back for myself. And I think her losing all that like really questioned her made herself question her own worth of like mm. what i what she meant to me sure and like i knew in my heart what she meant means to me like like it's everything yeah but like i can understand how polarizing that must have been for her to be like i'm not needed anymore mm. and it was quite the opposite like like i remember before I proposed to her, like she had asked me the question once, like, do you even love me anymore? And I'm like, like, whoa, like what could ever make you like ask me that question? And I, like at first, like I was tempted to give her a joking answer. I was like, oh man, she's being serious. And it's like, I remember just getting teary. I'd be like, yeah, like more than anything, Katie, like, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, like, do you have no idea that I already, I, I had one of my best friends make the ring he's a jewelry designer like i already had this ring made and like like it, i i was like envisioning our, our our lives together and i i was so taken back she had to ask me that question and i was confused because i'm like i'm like our lives have never been better as a couple together like you're not up at two in the morning rubbing my foot like i'm feeling good again i'm not crying mm -hmm. in pain like why wouldn't this be like our honeymoon reignited right now. And, you know, I, I wasn't really accounting for probably the part of her identity that, what that became, this man needs me totally. and I'm going to be there for him. Yeah. And 
I, I could see how like a lot of mothers who become like empty nested, why they go through so much trauma and, you know, from that experience because they go from this place and this position where they are so dependent on and then gone. And that does upend your somebody's whole world. And um, Katie and I had to, we had to work through a lot of those things. And I definitely had to be more cognizant of like how I reassured her and, and, you know, really trying to be mindful about what she was experiencing and feeling uh, at any given moment. Like, in some ways, I feel like the the period from the time somebody gets engaged to the point they get married, it's almost like this probationary period where it's like, it's like the, that last assessment before the deed's done. <laughs> and I was just paying such close attention to everything because it's like, I was like, man, I, I hope like she can snap out of this and see that like, I don't take this decision lightly at all. You know, my parents got divorced and quite frankly, if I wish they got divorced way sooner, it was not a good marriage they had. Um, and it's like, that's why I had it so embedded into me for so long. Like I would never consider getting married. Like that was my mindset, but like, you know, that, that changed for me completely, but I don't make the decision lightly. Um, you know, I remember when she, she walked towards me, uh, down the aisle, like thought I had it all together. Cause again, like I've, I've closed so many deals and I've like ironed out most of my nerves when it comes to public speaking and things like that. But man, like I just started crying when she walked down the aisle and fumbled all over myself at my vows and <laughs> like i don't know you can't fake those things and mm. it's kind of like sending my first v10 um i think i might have sent you a video of that i don't remember like it's like my brain melted <laughs> and like i was like look me mats and like i wasn't even thinking clearly i was just so elated and it's like i feel like you only get to have that experience once like i didn't feel that way again anytime i sent another v10 and when i finally got that other big project i'd actually dedicated so much time to because that v10 i got in a single session so like oh wow that had a different meaning in itself the the v11 i got like i worked that thing a lot i was out there till one in the morning like texting katie like coming home eventually i promise <laughs> and i i had like imagined like what my reaction would be like when i got to the top of that like oh i'm gonna cheer i'm gonna dance and I, I guess I never sent you like the extended version of like the send, but like, and I, I could if you ever wanted to, but like, I just started crying, mm. you know, like just wasn't expect. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Like when I finally got the scent and, and I do value it heavily, but I, you know, to, to work so hard for something and not know if you can even do it, it, it and to feel like you could be, potentially putting all this time into something with no tangible outcome, like, like taking the problem and getting the send, it felt tangible that I, that notion, but like, really these are all constructs and the process is what's important. And I, and I reasonably know all that, but like feeling like that fear of walking away after so much time spent without the send was 
very stressful. So to like finally have it all come together and feel that release. Man, I don't know. I don't know if I can ever capture that feeling again too. I don't know if I'll ever be able to to feel that way again Mm. after setting something. Uh, And maybe not. Maybe it's like the first kiss of your life, you know, like (laughs) you only get the first kiss once. Mm. First kiss of your life, first kiss with the new person, like you only get that once. Um, You know, many first, right? Yeah. And I don't know. I definitely cherish and value those experiences, but how did we get here? <laughs> I don't know. You were, I, I think it's really funny. I'm, I'm sure that uh, some people are chuckling to themselves. Like what a climber thing to compare getting married to uh, climbing your first V10. I think that's kind of classic. <laughs> I think we pivoted from, from Katie to climbing, but, um, but I did want to, I did want to ask, you know, you've shared where you're at with your climbing now. What does it mean to you now? And where do you feel like you're headed with your climbing now? I, I ask myself this question all the time, actually, because, uh, you know, as I've, I've had certain disruptions within like the climbing community and everything, and not that I want to go on a tangent about any of that, but, you know, some disagreements I've had with like, you know, moderation and things like that on, on platforms like now on project and feeling like it's disconnected me a bit from from what the sport is amongst like hitting some key milestones. Like I've had to ask myself these questions of like, what, what is climbing to me now? And like, where do I want to take it? And, you know, I I generally kind of go back to a few things and maybe the answer will change over time in my head. But for now, it's still that I enjoy movement uh, almost, you know, it's one of the fundamental pillars of like my existence. Like I, movement is very important to me. I like being fit and it's hard for me to find that motivation to be fit if I don't have something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Because it's hard for me to, like I swim four days a week, like I'm putting in probably an average of at least six to 8,000 yards in the pool a week. And it's like... I was going to ask you that too. What's with all the swimming? Yeah. What the hell? It's made my shoulders bulletproof. You hear about shoulders used to be like the number one climbing injury and not for me. Uh, and it's, it's low impact cardio. And, and yeah, I feel a lot fitter when I swim. Like, man, it, it, it's a great workout. Uh, really focuses you to use your core, your arms, your legs. It's an all body hard workout, but man, do I hate doing it. It is boring. It's boring and it's suffering. I I describe it as like suffering, (laughs) like hard swimming. And it's not like I ever was a competitive swimmer. I do it for the fitness. Mm. And I still do it like four times a week for the fitness. And like yesterday, I put 2,000 yards in the pool. And and then I went to the gym and I did 30 V3s on the kilter board. You know, I wouldn't be able to do all that religiously if I didn't have this overarching thing I cared so much about, which is climbing. Yeah. As far as like very long-term goals I have, uh, I think having like a series of goals, depending on who you are as a person, changes the narrative quite a bit. Like short-term, you know, I have these goals for all these different lines I have on my to-do list. Um, Some of my other short-term goals are I have like 
all these boulders I'm finding. Like I want to put up more FAs and establish more stuff and and put Rhode Island, you know, on the map for like, it's not just Lincoln Woods guys. There's like a lot more we got going on. Mm. And one thing that I find mythical with all the rock we have here in the Northeast, how is the hardest line we have a V14 when we're in the world of V17s? I don't know. I remember not too long ago, you interviewed that guy who turned 45 and he got his first, he got a V16. And it's like, why can't that be me? Why can't I be the person that puts up that V16 line? And if somebody else gets to it first, awesome. Like, that's also great. But like, either way, like, I can also be the person. Why can't New England and Rhode Island, kind of going back to our original conversation, this place I love so much, why can't this be one of the most world-class bouldering destinations in the world, period. So that's sort of like the long, long-term goal. And other than that, just uh, being able to experience it, stay injury-free and be part of this community and the social groups and the friends and all the experiences that come with that as long as I possibly can. Mm. You know, that's, that's sort of what the sport is for me today. Um, it's so many things and it it motivates me on so many levels outside the sport itself. Like I want to be even more successful in my career so I can more easily sponsor myself. Uh, like I remember my friend uh, Eric said to me at one point, he was one of uh, my groomsmen at my wedding, you know. He, I remember him commenting to me one day because he sees me doing like the adult training team and everything and he's like, He's like, you're not a pro climber. Why are you like doing all this this hard ass work to yourself, basically? And I'm like, and I and I thought about his question. I'm like, I don't I don't look at it in that way. In my mind, I see myself as a pro athlete. That's how I treated every sport I've done, and I put everything into it. And I sponsor myself. Mm. Like I'm funding it. Like truthfully, even if I was at the pro climber level, whatever that means. I'm not going to make more money doing that than what I'm doing in my career. So it's like, I'm not going to ever back out of my career regardless. So like, what does that even mean? Does the word pro matter? And I don't think it does because I think pro just simply means you're making a living off it. Right. And I'm never going to choose that for my living. So I don't want it to become a J-O-B anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so it it motivates me to, to do even more performance in my career because I know it will enable more opportunities. Like right now I'm like rebuilding our camper van, but it's like, if I just had a hundred grand laying around, I could just go and buy like the Rolls Royce of camper vans, you know? And, you know, I like a lot of gear. I, I own like 30 pairs of climbing shoes and I like all my, uh, my swag. <laughs> mm -hmm. So like climbing motivates like all these different things. Uh, I feel so good. Like, be able to feel really fit and like feel like a boss when I walk into the room to close a deal, you know what I mean? Or, or like I have this other part of my identity, like I can tell and, you know, accounts and I'm prospecting about like, oh yeah, like I'm not just, you know, this career guy, like this is the other side of my life. Like here's this mountain I was on the other day, you know, and it's so many things. I like that my wife and I share that together. That's how we met actually was at the rock gym. Which, which is bizarre because, let me tell you, I grew up in Warwick Neck near Rocky Point. Uh, so did she, apparently. One street over. Wow. Went to the same high school as me. Never met her. 
I went to Providence College. She went to Rhode Island College. They're a half a mile apart. Never met her. I was working at as a bartender at this restaurant in a little like quaint village called Patuxet Village in Rhode Island. Uh, and she worked at the ice cream shop right next to said restaurant. <laughs> Never met her. Didn't meet her until I was just at the rock gym one day. And, and, and I don't know what, I don't even know why my friend uh, Eddie asked me, uh, who I miss a lot. He's out in Switzerland now, but he he asked me randomly, like, Travis, where'd you go to high school? And I was like, oh, Warwick Vets. And he's and Katie was like, I went to Warwick Vets. How do I not know you? And yeah, we just started talking and man, we just made up every excuse to see each other. I, you know, like, uh, I, I was making up every reason like why she had to like come hang out with me. I'm like, oh yeah, like I had to go for the trouble, but I downloaded these episodes of Westworld. We got to watch together. And <laughs> I said, I, I really perfected this hot chocolate recipe. You got to come try. And, and, you know, not that I think she like didn't know what was going on, so to speak, but it was like whatever reason I could find to just connect with this girl. So from, from the time we we weren't even like considering each other dating prospects, so to speak, but from the time we just started hanging out, we didn't have like one day where we didn't see each other for for quite a while until she went on that trip to the bugaboos and then I hurt my knee. We saw mm. each other every day before that. Uh, and that's still sort of the paradigm today. We we go very little time without seeing each other, um, you know, and I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, it's beautiful. Yeah, so it... it Climbing's brought me so much. It's brought me to so many things. It's giving me a reason to go to these different destinations of the world that I don't think I would have any reason to go to otherwise. Like the first time I went to Red Rocks in Vegas, I don't care about Vegas. I don't like gambling. Uh, I did like the Cirque du Soleil. That was cool. But I'm not a Vegas guy. Like I don't care about any of that stuff. And I'm not a nightclub guy. So it's like, why does a guy like me go to Vegas? And like suddenly there's a reason. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, so I, I would say that's what, what climbing means to me today. And I just want to continue to push myself. Uh, one of my friends said to me one day, something that I wholeheartedly disagree with. He said, climbers, the ones that get to V17 or whatever, they have the genetic potential to do so. And and like, that's it. And I, and I just thought about it. I'm like, not that the notion's totally wrong, but it's like, you have no idea if you have that genetic potential. Like mm. from my understanding, they haven't identified the V17 gene yet. So it's like, why not just treat it like you are that person with that mm. genetic potential? And I'm going to, I'm going to ride it. Like I'm going to ride that. Like I don't need to be a certain age or somebody to tell me like, oh yeah, like your, your potential is only V13. Sorry, kid. <laughs> you know, right. It's, it's like, right. I don't think any of it matters. You know what I mean? I think uh, I like I like to feel like I'm improving. And I think I'm getting better at finding improvement in like the cracks. Not the literal cracks, but like the, the places between sending and projecting and just training the but okay, I can do a static muscle up on the bars now. I can do a one-arm pull-up now. Like I can hold this for one extra second or, oh, like I didn't totally freak out that time when I was at this bolt. Like I was able to at least make the clip and then like take a big gasp of air. Like 
I'm like really trying to pay attention to like the subtleties of like where those improvements lie and the magic of that. Yeah. And that keeps me motivated. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was, I was thinking of asking you, I, I, kind of had planned not to because I felt you already touched on it but but now I have to just bring this question up but um you know I'd planned to ask earlier why was it that you were able to make such a full recovery when so many others haven't and I think you sharing that mindset around the V17 climber answers that question for me you know and of course you've already spoken to all the gratitude and um, all of the things that could have gone wrong. And maybe it is luck, you know, maybe there's a huge amount of luck with having had the support from Katie, who sounds like just a freaking superhero. And then having all these surgeons and doctors and the support from your boss and like everything kind of aligns perfectly to make this happen. But I have to believe that that mindset of why not me, why can't it be me who becomes the first person with a full knee reconstruction to do something badass again, you know, and, and get full flexion back and beyond and climb hard and all these things. Um, you, you know, it's, I, it's I awesome. said something to my friend, I said something to my friend, Eric once, uh, you can tell him and I have a lot of philosophical conversations. I said to him, like, in my life, like that I almost perceive as like an anime, I said, I see myself as the main character of that story. And, you know, anime was something I, I watched a lot growing up. I haven't watched a good one in a while, but so many times to see the protagonist have to like overcome so many obstacles and go through a huge training arc. And I don't know if you've watched anything like Dragon Ball Z or, or you know, Berserk or all these like very popular mainstream animes and even the more obscure niche stuff, but... You know, a lot of themes and tropes are the same of like this like very strong self-belief of like overcoming like the impossible and and like pushing way beyond. And that's motivated me so much. Like uh, one of the reasons I started boxing, I shit you not, is because I watched this anime called Hajime no Ippo. And I was just so inspired by this fictional character. And it was enough to like to create the spark and get it moving. And, you know, a lot it a lot of like those books and stories I've read and not just anime, but like so many things I gather resources from, like, like even when I think of high school and college and so many books that, you know, students like to groan about of like, why am I reading this thing? And it's I draw on like all these like pieces of information so many times and like have it inform whatever I'm going through in my life. Cause you know, I think you said it once that like, while we are all special snowflakes, like uh, in some ways we are the same. And a lot of the problems people are experiencing in life are documented, have been solved in a sense, or at least well logged of like what the experiences were. And there's so much that you can just draw on and it doesn't have to always be like a complete self-discovery because that is that's impossible to like solve everything on your own. And by like viewing myself as like the main character of that story, that is my life. Like I recognize that it's like very important for me to be, 
you know, the focal point of all that, so to speak, of I I have the ability to rely on like the resources around me to to really create this story. And I, I really try to lean heavily into that. You know, if I just said, let Jesus take the wheel, you know, God at the Holy Gates might say, if, uh, you know, I, I die and end up there, uh, dude, like, I gave you hands and eyes and all these <laughs> things to, to help you drive. Why didn't you use them? Mm. And I very much feel that. It's like, I have all these things. I have these medical professionals and it, it wasn't like this smooth road. I had to advocate for myself the whole way. I had to go and get that second opinion from the doctors. I had to like fight and let them know, like, no, this is what I want. Like, I don't think the outcomes would have been the same with a different person, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, even the in the surgical sense, I had to advocate for a lot. And, and I would encourage anybody who is going through their own traumatic journey with an injury to be that self-advocate. And, you know, doctors and surgeons, while I'm super grateful for them, they're brilliant. They're not gods. They are humans and they don't know everything. And they'll tell you that too, they don't know everything. And it's good to go and get like those second opinions and like be informed and find other people who may have had a similar experience to your own. And um, I read a statistic not too long ago about like, so many millions of people are estimated to get uh, knee replacements every year. And that number is only going to continue to increase. And it's like, I went through this journey. I could not find one example of, a, of an athlete, never mind even a rock climber, with a knee replacement. Somebody's got to be the first. Mm. And maybe they're already out there and they just never came forward with a voice. Mm-hmm. I think my surgeon said to me once, those people don't spend their time online <laughs> typing away about their happiness. Mm. You know, they're out enjoying life. And, right. And that was tempting for me too, but... But, you know, if this if this story can motivate somebody or help them or or even give them hope, you know, for whatever they're going through, I mean, it's, it's worth it. Mm. It's worth it. It's worth talking about it for that reason alone. So is luck a factor? I mean, in some ways, we always create our own luck, right? Right. Exactly. Like uh, in that anime I told you about, Hajime no Ippo, one of like the characters that was revered was this boxer named Miata. And one day, uh, Miata's father, who was a retired boxer, had said to Miata, Miata, I didn't lose that fight because of a lucky punch. There is no such thing as a lucky punch. And, you know, I really thought about that. And it's like, we have the ability if we are open to it, to, most of us probably have the ability if we have some like some level of competence to prepare ourselves for anything. And I'm not saying getting to that like path of enlightenment's easy. I'm certainly not fully enlightened either, like a, you know, a shallow monk or something, but we probably all have like the capability of of preparing ourselves for the things we need to prepare ourselves for. Yeah. And um I think I think we all sell ourselves short at time. Yeah. For that. Oh. I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I certainly have sold myself short at times for that. And yeah. I try to be more mindful and introspective about it all. And I try to live my life with a lot of intention. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I fully agree with and hear everything you're saying. And, and at the same time, it might even be simpler than that. You know, like maybe the reminder for ourselves, because so many people have so many valid reasons to feel 
unlucky in their lives, right? And to feel like if only external things were different, I wouldn't be in this situation. Like that's always a completely valid feeling. And yet I think the reminder is, is something you touched on a minute ago, which is that just knowing that only you have your best interest in mind, really, like only you are going to be the person who can fully advocate for yourself because no one else thinks of you as the main character in the life story that they're living, right? Like your doctor might be amazing and really want the best for you, but they are not going to care as deeply about that as you are, because how could they, you know, they can't extend that to all their patients. So I think, um, stepping into that role of responsibility and like knowing that you are driving in this, through this thing called life, you are driving your own car. And if you hand that to someone else, like the Jesus take the wheel thing, you know, it's like, that's a great sentiment, but, but then you're just sitting in the passenger seat and who knows what's going to happen. You know, you might get lucky, you might not. So and it's that living, right? You know, when I'm training new salespeople, I always tell them like, well, I ask them the question. I'm like, what is everyone's favorite topic? Do you know the answer to that? Themselves. You got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's not to be like people are narcissistic and selfish. It's to really point out that nobody's going to matter more to you than you. And, and, or at least that really should be the case because then your self-worth is in the toilet if that's not the case. Mm. And, you know, knowing that it, it just reinforces everything that you just said and expanded on and explicated so, so well. To make a sale, you have to really understand and be empathetic with your customer and understand the pain they're going through. And to, to get things done, especially like on the journey I went through, I have to like, re- I, I truly believe I had to get people empathetic with my struggles and articulate it in such a way where they could really understand where I was going through and why the things I was asking for were so meaningful and important for me. Mm. You know, I don't think uh, the surgeons would understand at face value, like, why did I keep asking about rock climbing during so many of the surgeries? Like, why did I keep asking about the range of motion? Like, they were probably just like, doesn't this guy get like, we're just trying to get him walking. Mm-hmm. I think that probably was the sentiment. And I think if they, like if they heard this podcast or saw me today and, and I think the ones that have seen me recently, they do get it now. Like, Oh, like <laughs> this is the ball game for him. Mm. And, you know, if, if we don't advocate for ourselves on that behalf, uh, nobody will. And like you said, if you're in the passenger seat, are you even living? So I want to live my life. And I, I do think a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people are, for lack of a better way of putting it, slaves to like socioeconomic conditions, slaves to war, slave to other people's expectations, slave to narratives that have been imposed on them of who they think they need to be. And how many people, you know, really feel like they develop their own personalities. I mean, I've been guilty of many of these things. And, uh, you know, I think the best thing we can do is uh, try to recognize these pitfalls as they come and and find that place where we're in the belief cycle of we're living with intention and our decisions are informed the way we, we want them to be by the things we know and the people we care about and what matters to us. And that it's 
it's going towards the things we care that we want to achieve out of the times we have here. Because to my point of that fountain of youth, it's not forever. And like this second chance, and I'm so grateful to have, you know, life in itself is a it's a short period. And in the scope of how many climbers will exist after we're long gone and before we were ever here. And whatever we do, it's it's just gonna be a blip it. And uh mm. maybe worry less about like the legacy and what the world's gonna think and all the other climbers of the world and and just more about like what am I gonna get out of this experience and you know, is that valuable for me when when I'm at the end? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if you're a true altruist, I think you're able to serve other people better when you take care of yourself first, right? It's like the oxygen mask on the plane sort of thing. And you knowing that you're a better husband and a better father if you do what you're passionate about and take care of that. I, I resonate with that. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I, um, I asked you in our pre-interview what would make you feel proud of this. And... Um, you said that you just want to be helpful. I remember you saying that there was a time, you know, you watched that documentary or the, the real rock film stumped, um, with Mo Beck and, and amazing. Like you, you re, yeah, totally amazing. And you resonated with something in there. Like you just want to be known as a good climber. Uh, you know, you don't want to be a good climber with a fake knee. You just want to be a good climber. And you really resonated with that for a while. And then it sounds like you've kind of changed your mind and now you just want to be useful. And, you said earlier in the conversation, like, I don't know what the takeaway of this whole story is. I don't know like what the point is or what, you know, motivational bow to tie and, and like wrap around this packaging. But I, I think that's it. It's just that you didn't have any examples of people to look to for hope, information, inspiration, expectations. Like you just didn't have anybody. And so now you're choosing to go first and, be that person for someone. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I know you wanted to share it. You reached out to me initially because you wanted to share it. Yeah. And then you weren't yeah. sure. You weren't sure if you wanted to share it because it's so deeply personal. And and you went, you and Katie went through such a deep and and powerful and difficult journey together. But um, I tell you what, man. I'm not this... gonna lie, I was uh I was I was terrified of going to that place mentally again. Like mm as I really considered it, I think it, it also hurt that like a lot of people for better or worse started like finding out about like possibly I was going to talk on the nugget. And then I was just like, I'm like, I've set a really weird stage for this amongst my own contemporaries. And I don't want to like get lost of what I was trying to initially accomplish, which is just like be a resource for somebody else going through something similar. And uh, I was, and I was being selfish. I was being, af I was afraid, like I'd have to go back and explore like some of those really hard places that I, I went to mentally where I didn't want to live anymore. And, you know, moments of like, I thought I was going to lose Katie and, and, and things that, that just were really, really painful for me, both physically and mentally. And, you know, I don't want to live with regret either. Um, I, would, I, I truly believe I would regret it if I didn't go with the original mission of uh, like why I reached out to you to begin with, which is like, no, like 
like Travis, like <laughs> you don't, it's not like you want to be a pro or something. You don't want to be Insta famous. You don't want, you, like, I don't, I barely post anything. I barely have a social media existence. Like, you know why you're doing this. You're doing this like to be that resource, um, you know, and like one, once that became clear to me and once we had our initial conversation, like I felt a lot lighter and or maybe that's not the word. I felt like I had a lot more clarity. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And like, I remembered again, like what this was about. Mm. And, you know, and it's it's still the same thing. Like, there's nothing in the economic sense I want out of this sport at all. And I'm very privileged to be in that position and grateful to be in that position. And that still remains true. And, um, I, I doubt you ever interview anybody who comes on like a, a podcast like this with like some intention of this is going to build my brand further and and move my me along the rungs or something like that. But uh, you know, I, I can confidently say that's very much the opposite uh, for me. Like, of if that ever were the goal, like I don't care about any of that, and I'm happy I don't because I always think to myself like, what a hard place it would to exist if like if my livelihood depended on this and it's like man i do have to get out there and send hard things or it's like maybe scarpa drops me you know or <laughs> something like that and mm -hmm. i'm glad i'm not there me too man i don't envy that position i wouldn't trade my place that would be very stressful <laughs> i yeah. think i would enjoy climbing a lot less yeah but yeah. but th thank you like you you did give me uh an opportunity and a platform that I know I said this to you last time, but like, it's clear to me how much effort you put into this podcast. And uh, Katie and I talk about this with like a lot of the YouTubers we watch where like, I, I won't say any specific names, like a lot of climbing YouTube channels, for example, they're kind of boring to watch because there's so much like dead meat and bad pacing and content in their, their shows. And Magnus Mippo has said that he's like, he's really learned over like the times of like developing his brand and his channel, like to just cut out the dead meat. And I feel like you've always done that with your, with your episodes. Like I've never gotten bored listening mm. to a podcast and I listen to a lot of your podcasts because I drive a lot. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I really appreciate everything you built. I know it's probably taken a lot of guts because I mean, I don't know like your support background and who your parents are or anything like that. And maybe shame on me for not asking those questions, but I imagine you've probably had your own self-reflection of like, am I botching my career opportunities? Am I doing this huge mistake by going down this path, living in a van, like building this podcast? Like, is this just a waste? I have this engineering degree. Am I not, am I just, same thing where I said, am I just being an idiot by like my second opportunity? Like maybe you've had those dialogues at yourself. Like, am I just being a fool for not going into the private sector and raking in seven figures, you know? And I don't know. I don't know if you have, I imagine, like if I'm trying to imagine myself in your shoes, I imagine that those would be the things going through my mind. And regardless of all that, you're still able to put in so much effort into this podcast and, and I see it um, you know, everything from like the, 
it, it's very hard to fake caring about somebody. And I can see like the, I can hear the care in your voice. I can see the thoughtfulness of your questions and, and how provoking it all is. Not with just me, but, you know, with everybody you speak with. And to put yourself in that mindset with how many people you've talked to, I mean, I'm blown away. That's impressive. Uh, as a salesperson dealing with people all the time myself, like I can't always get my head there where I'm like, I can be in that level the amount of times you are. And I'm impressed by that. Um, and I know how much, like the the part that people consume, the just listening part, that probably accounts for like 30% of the work, I imagine, compared to the... the way way the, less the than notes, 30%. The, absolute, the editing. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Oh, it, man. It's not lost on me and I appreciate it a ton. I really do. And um, hey, if you're ever in this area, <laughs> no if, answer, buts, you're letting me treat you to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you so, got it. I'll take you up on that, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. A place to crash if you need it. So, thank you. That's very kind of you, man. I, I really deeply appreciate that. And it feels very good to feel seen in that way. And it's, I mean, <clears throat> I kind of feel about it the way that in a way that's parallel to our conversation about kind of luck and, and creating your own luck. And it's, it's two things, right? Like on one hand, I've had a lot of advantages in my life. I was able to go through college without a big financial burden on me. Um, basically no financial burden on me. I was able to get an engineering job. I was a single man, made money, saved money, didn't have to stress about a kid, you know, got lucky, could have definitely become a father. <laughs> that could have happened, didn't happen. Um, so I was able to buy myself the, create the safety net for myself and, and, and give myself the space and time to be able to go all in on this in a way that not many people can. And a lot of that's luck. And a lot of that is, yeah, the gifts that I've been given. So that's one thing. And then the other thing too, is that I really have worked my ass off to make this thing a reality and, and created a lot of my own luck along the way. And those things can coexist, you know, I, I think for the last few years, I, I think it took me a while to really own the second piece of that because of the social climate we live in. And I was, I just felt like, you know, everything needed to be caveated with acknowledging my privilege. And, and of course, it's really good to have that awareness, but it, it really can be both those things. Like, yes, I can, I can be aware that, I have had a lot of advantages and come from a privileged upbringing and background and stuff. And then also I've like really prioritized the podcast and put my whole heart and soul into it for four years. And that never stops. It never sleeps. I put it before my climbing. I'll skip a climbing day. If I need to get a podcast done, I'll rearrange my whole life around an important interview to give myself the space to get into that mindset, you know, where I can, I can be really present with someone and yeah. it's, it's both like they're intermingled, you know, it's lucky to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and yet I've certainly seen other people not do it and not give that kind of care. And, and then the other part of it is like, it doesn't feel like a choice even like, it doesn't feel hard to do that because I just love it so much. And that feels really lucky. Like it's just this swirling mix, you know, like, I don't know why I enjoy it as much as I do. I don't know why I feel so fulfilled by it. I didn't really choose those things. It's just how I feel about it. And I feel so lucky to have found it, you know? So yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it's a lot of, um, 
emotional energy. Like I'm sure I'll feel kind of hungover after this conversation, right? Like it's, and I'm sure you will too. It's weird. It's weird to like show Definitely. up and be so deeply present with someone for a few hours. And I often need to really like unwind and kind of like, I can't really work for the rest of the day after an interview like this, but it also fills me up so much. And it's just truly an honor to hold space for you and your incredible story and just be a witness to all of it and to be able to share it with people. And again, like, thank you for, for sharing. Cause this is an absolute gift. And I guarantee you that there's someone listening, maybe many someone's likely many someone's, but there's certainly someone listening who needed to hear all of this, who didn't even know that was what they needed. And, um, yeah, you're touching people's lives, man. It's, it's just such a gift to be so open and honest with your story and so real um, to be willing to go back to that dark time and, and speak to that and share it so um, vulnerably. So yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for doing this. You are welcome back anytime. Maybe we can do this again when we've both sent, you know, V12 or V13 or something, but I yeah. feel like, I feel like the future is <laughs> bright. So yeah, you're, you're too good of a person, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate it too. appreciate everything. And I, I really hope we can hang soon because, uh, Man, I can tell we'll have a good time going out there and crushing together. So. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe February, yeah. huh? It sounds like you'll be back in Red Rock sometime around then. Uh, yeah. Four, 14th to the 21st. So okay. if you're around, I'll be around. I'll keep it on my I'll so. keep it on my calendar for sure. I may still be in Waco. We'll see what happens. You know, there's always well, too many projects. It, there it's if do. it works out thing. Uh, no pressure, of course. But, but yeah, if it happens, I, I will, if it works out, yeah. I will make it to the Northeast. I have no idea when, but I mean... I, I have a van for a reason. I love traveling and I've never been to any of those zones. I've always wanted to go to Rumney. I've never climbed at the new. Definitely. All those Northeast boys got me psyched on all the bouldering areas out there. I've never been to the gunks. There's so much. So yeah, I'd be stoked to yep. do a trip out there and check it all out. Acadia, you name it. There's there's a lot of good climbing here in the Northeast. The only thing I will say about the Northeast, but we, we talked about this already. You're used to some sharp, painful rocks. So yeah, yeah, that doesn't. Yeah, scare you'll me. you'll be you'll be you'll be good then. <laughs> Every now and then we get a climber from like Yosemite who's like, "What the heck is up at this rock? <laughs> mm. My fingers are dead." And I'm like, "Yep, <laughs> it's sharp." <laughs> so bring that rhino skin. But, oh, <laughs> I I didn't even go down. And oh my god, Katie would shake her head if I mentioned this. I do uh, a process called the ion tophoresis. My hands don't sweat anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when I used to be that pro melee player I told you about, one of my close friends, uh, he had hyperhidrosis. So like he just held out his hand and it just rained. Yeah. And he told me about this process called ion tophoresis, where you basically like stick your hands in water and like electrical pulses are sent to the hands and it basically severs like the way the neurology of it all works and you stop sweating. So I found this device called the Dermadry and what a game changer hmm. what a game changer does it affect you yeah. i'd be afraid of it does it affect your your healing ability like i i have pretty um yeah damp, it does my damp skin I cl- but I, I climb six days a week like oh you heal faster seven hours wow okay it's more like my skin never gets wrecked mm. yeah like before i started derma drawing i would have to take like three or four days to recover after climbing the sharp rock we have around here mm-hmm. now i climb six days a week so <laughs> it's never my skin giving out first. 
So we're such climbers right now. We just said all these like really thoughtful, heartfelt things to each other. And then we're like, but let me, tell me about your skin routine, bro. Like this is game changer. Oh, it's, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important. I love it, man. That's awesome. I'll link to that. I'll find it and link to it. Maybe I'll play with it myself. Um, Sounds good. Anything I'll else? I'll it with you anytime, my friend. Awesome. Uh, you know, the, the only other thing I would say is, you know, I'm so sorry if I didn't, if I didn't thank somebody who, who was incredibly valuable and instrumental in my journey. Um, it's not that I'm not thinking about you. I'm just, there was just so much to unpack in this. Um, and other than that, if you are one of those people going through that journey and, you know, you just want to talk to me and you, you just feel like there's something I might know that could help you, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to speak to you directly over the phone. Um, you're welcome to put my phone number in the, in the show notes, or I can even say my <laughs> phone number here. I don't care. Uh, 401-263-5603. So call, text me. I, I, I've actually done the same thing for, for aspiring salespeople in the past because when I first started learning how to cold call, I was terrified and shaking at the knees and there weren't that many people to turn to. So I was like, okay, if somebody else is in that position, I want them to have like somebody they can call and talk to. So helped hundreds of people over the years uh, learn how to cold call. And same thing with that. Like if I can help anybody with their, their own personal injury journey or maybe even like inform them on something that might influence the direction they want to pursue, I'm more than happy to do that. And um, yeah, I, I guess the last thing I would say is uh, not that I would foresee anything like this happening, but uh, you know, I don't want any sort of business opportunity or dealings from anything related to this. If like anybody's listening to my story with that sort of intention, uh, I'd just rather not be contacted about it. So um I'm fortunately in a very good place economically and it's just not something I want to, I don't know if exploits the word, but it's not one of the things I want to utilize in my, my bag of tricks to yeah. get ahead. That's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. But well, other than that, uh, the last thing would be, I hope you and I can chill sometime, my friend. Yeah, man. So. Yeah. You have to come to Leavenworth one of these days. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I'll be, I'll definitely be in touch you're you and katie of course it, it's weird because in many ways you're like a, a celebrity in my mind but you know to be able to like just talk to you uh heart to heart like this it you know it wiped away my nerves about it all and you know it, it really humanized the whole experience for me and i uh, you know just a, you're a great person to have around Thanks, so man. appreciate that yeah, yeah we're friends any, now yeah anything you anything you need I've got your back. All right. Well, I need some photos of you to share for the podcast. How about that? Oh yeah, definitely. How, how do I send those <laughs> over? How do you want those? I'll I'll, uh, I'll text you, but yeah, you can email them to me. Sounds good. But yeah, After, I probably uh, team tonight. I'll get those over to you. Perfect. Yeah, no rush at all. No rush at all. This will be a few weeks out. But um, yeah, I, for everyone listening, I will link to uh, Travis's Instagram. Um, in the show notes and anything else that's relevant. We, you've, you've got a bunch of crazy photos. I'll probably be sharing some of those on Instagram from your injury and stuff. Um, the week that this comes out, yeah. man, what a, some of them are hard to look at for sure. Like seeing your knee bent like that. It's for like, sure. Whoa. Um, for sure. But yeah, I'll link to all those things. I probably won't put your phone number in there because then you'll just get a bunch of spam bot calls and stuff from the website. I already so do. You'll have to go back and listen to it, folks, if you want his phone number, but that's very generous of you. Um, 
And yeah, we'll, we'll call it there. Thanks so much again to you for sharing your story. Thanks for everyone who is still with us three plus hours into this thing. Hope you guys got something from it. Um, conversations like this mean the world to me. It's very, um, feels very meaningful. And I mean, this is why, this is why I do this. So yeah, once again, thank you, Travis. And uh, for everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Don't get injured. Likewise, and it was my pleasure. Thanks, my friend. All right, see ya. Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Travis. Once again, I put out an extra from this episode. It's the first 35 minutes of our conversation when we were first recording. We talked about food and weight and the dark side of some sports and weight classes and things like that. We talked about grades. We talked about Katie Lamb and the box therapy downgrade. I talked about the project I was working on in Leavenworth at the time and how that was going. It was good. It was a really good conversation. It just didn't feel like it fit the main story. So I'm publishing it separate as an extra for patrons. So if you want even more, there's 35 more minutes of this episode. You can go listen to that right now on Patreon at patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. Or once again, it's now on Apple Podcasts as premium. You can sign up for the premium version of the show. Same content as Patreon. It's the same thing. It's just one tap, super simple, if you want to check that out. And there's free trials for both. So you can check it out, get a seven-day free trial, cancel at any time, no questions asked. All right, thanks again to our sponsors for this episode. You can find links to them and their discount codes at thenuggetclimbing.com, along with all my other show notes and other episodes. Thank you guys for tuning in today. I really appreciate your support and to have you listening. It means the world to me. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. We got the right